documentary uh, that uh, Ari Shafir and I talk about <clears throat> in a few minutes called uh, Searching for Sugar Man. If you haven't seen it, you definitely want to check it out. I love documentaries. I, I've got a soft spot for Werner Herzog and everybody else who just goes out and tells crazy, interesting stories on film. Um, but... Uh, even for me, searching for Sugar Man is is a mind blower, and there are so many great documentaries. Grizzly Man, Man on Wire. If you haven't seen that, dude, true story about the this dude who puts a cable between the twin towers in New York when they're under construction. Complete guerrilla operation, like sneaks up there with some friends while the construction, the security dudes are sleeping and whatever, and he gets all the way to the top. It's sets up a cable across the towers and then goes out there and does a high wire act walking across the things. Anyway, man on wire. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Grizzly man, of course is an incredible film, but this, uh, searching for sugar man, great movie. I don't want to talk about it too much because, uh, we talk about it in the podcast. So, uh, you'll hear that. That was, I wonder. Uh, a little later in the podcast, I'll mix in uh, Sugar Man uh, from the same record, I believe. Anyway, uh, happy Father's Day Eve from where I am. It'll be post-Father's Day by the time you hear this, but I'm uh, recording this introduction from my treadmill desk in Vancouver on Saturday. I'll uh, release this uh, probably Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, the schedule's weird. Sorry about that. Uh, it's it's just got to be what it is because I'm working on the book and um, everything about my life gets weird when I'm working on a book. It's like when I sleep, when I'm awake, when I eat, what, you know, everything is just when it happens, you know, like I've been working on the book all day. It's uh, 5.45 p.m. and I need a break 
from the book and from thinking about all this stuff. But um, so I thought I record the thing and uh, record the intro for the podcast, put it together. At least I'm being productive. I'm not working on the book, but I'm working on something, you know. So it sort of keeps my keeps my energy flowing in some way. Um, so I wanted to mention a few things before we get into the podcast. Now, I, I recorded this uh, two months ago, maybe, with Ari um, when he was still living in L.A. He's in New York now. He just, in fact, it, I don't even know if it was on on when the, we were recording or after we were recording that he mentioned that he was he was moving in like a week, which is pretty amazing when you hear how relaxed he sounds in this, in this conversation. And the dude was, you know, like putting all his stuff in a truck and moving across the country a week later. Anyway, he's in New York. He's got an apartment in the village. You can follow him at Ari Shafir uh, on Twitter or, or Google him. You'll find all his stuff. And he seems to be doing well. So Ari, if you happen to hear this, uh, much love, much love to you in New York. And uh, I hope you... I hope you have as much fun as I did when I lived in New York for a while back in the 80s. Um, all right, a few things to mention. Uh, I was in San Diego last week uh, for the, what is it, the American Humanist Association, I think, is the name of the organization. Uh, I was there because Dan Savage was receiving the Humanist of the Year Award, which I sort of um, had a small part in in helping a friend of mine is on the board of the the humanist organization and he said they would love to give Dan Savage the award but they couldn't uh find a way to get in touch with him he asked me if I'd reach out to Dan and I did and by the time we finished um having our drink Dan had uh, emailed me back that uh he'd be happy to ex- you know to to go down to the conference and and meet the folks so anyway, they invited me to come along uh, for that. And that was really interesting. Um, yeah, very interesting. It turns out that Humanist uh, Association is sort seems to be sort of an umbrella organization for atheists these days. Um, I, I guess there is a lot of overlap in the two definitions, but there definitely seemed to be a strong uh, sort of atheist, uh, cele- celebrating atheism feeling vibe to the to the scene. Uh, in fact, I met Richard Dawkins, uh, probably the world's most famous outspoken atheist. He um, it was kind of weird. I, it, this friend was introducing me. He said, oh, do you know who that is over there? And I, I looked and I didn't see Richard Dawkins. I saw this other guy. He said he's the greatest close-up magician in the world. His name's Jamie Allen Swiss. So he said, I got I to gotta introduce you to this guy. So he took me over and he said, Jamie, I want you to meet this friend. And Jamie was in this little group of uh, people talking. And uh, so Jamie turned around and, and my friend introduced me and we were shaking hands. And then it, the guy next to him turned around. It was Richard Dawkins. And he said, hello. And I said, hello. And I pretended I didn't know who he was. Uh, I don't know. Is that doing rich? Uh, sorry, not rich. Is that doing famous people a favor when you pretend you don't know who they are, or is it insulting in some way? And I, I don't know if I've told you the story before, but when I did the TED Talk, uh, what, what was it, two months ago, uh, I found myself standing next to Peter Gabriel for a while. They were taking a group photo, and, and he and I just happened to be there, and so we started chatting, and it turned, you know, I. I know a guy that he went to high school with. Uh, and so we started talking about that. And 
And um, yeah, after a while, I I said to him, "Wow, it's you're amazingly normal for a guy who's been in the public eye for so long." And he looked at me with this. He had this funny look in his eyes, or at least I imagined what he was feeling was consternation but i meant it as a compliment you know i one of my favorite compliments when i was traveling around the world is when people would say to me uh oh you're american you don't you don't seem like american you're 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 not like any american i've ever met it's like you're not part of the group i assumed you were or your behavior isn't like what I would have assumed it was. Now, I never felt insulted by that. I always felt great about that. So when I said to Peter Gabriel, wow, you know, you're amazingly normal, what I meant was you're not all fucked up and egomaniacal and arrogant. And I, I meant it purely as a compliment. But I, I could see in his eyes that he wasn't quite sure to, whether he should take it that way. And I've thought about it later, you know, and it's like, I could understand why someone could be insulted or confused, you know, I mean, in its worst light, you could say that's like, I remember when, uh, who was it? I think Biden said that uh, Obama was, uh, you know, a clean, articulate guy. And, you know, that turned into a big brouhaha because the assumption was, I guess, that since he's black, he wouldn't be clean or articulate, right? So there's like an implied insult even in the compliment, you know, or if. You know, if you say to your Jewish friend, well, you're not cheap, you know, it's like, oh, thanks a lot, right? I mean, what kind of of bullshit compliment is that, right? So I could understand how how a famous person would be not thrilled to be told they seem normal. Anyway, Peter Gabriel, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way because actually it's incredible. What would be normal would be for someone as famous and rich and admired as he is to be an egomaniacal asshole. And so I guess what I'm saying is there's something very abnormal about you. Anyway, not to go any further down into that hole. Uh, But I met Richard Dawkins and said, hi, Richard, and pretended I didn't know who he was, which is probably just as well because... In the unlikely event he knows who I am, he probably wouldn't be thrilled to meet me uh, since we're often – we seem to be on opposing sides of, of the evolutionary psychology uh, battlefield. <clears throat> he stands firmly with Napoleon Chagnon and Steven Pinker and uh, Daniel Dennett, and I tend to um, – stand on the other side uh, with people far less famous, but I think more accurate in their uh, depictions and understanding of of human nature and the evolutionary process. Um, I met another really interesting guy, Rod Gorney, at that uh, conference. He's, I think he said he was 86, uh, psychiatrist and author, very interesting guy. We had a great talk. I'm going to get him on the podcast next time I'm in L.A., uh, he, I don't remember the anecdotes he was telling me, but I remember every one of them was setting off that bell that says, get this dude on the podcast. He's great. He's, he's very much like Stanley Krippner. He's like a funny, charming, super sharp old dude. Who's like, you know, been through so much and, uh, and is really happy to share what he's, what he's learned. And, Man, I, I, I wish if I had the money and the time, it would be really fun to just sort of 
you know, not interview anyone under 80 for a while, you know, just compile that sort of historical documentation. Because, uh, man, there's some great stuff. I, uh, Patrick Clarkin, who's a guy I follow on Twitter, recently tweeted um, a thing about uh, he was at a party, I guess, or a wedding or something, and there was a, an old woman sort of standing awkwardly alone in the corner, and he went over just to be nice and chat with her a little. Anyway, ended up spending the whole afternoon with her and heard this amazing story about the how she'd fallen in love and, you know, like in the twenties and, and, and the love affair had completely changed the destiny of her life, the trajectory of her entire life and, and how it led to this moment where she was now and the family she had and the kids, the relationship failed and the failure of the relationship is what sent her off. She was from Newfoundland, I think. And and she moved to California to try to forget the guy. And then, you know, that the rest of her life just followed as it does. And, uh, yeah, beautiful. And he, he, he tweeted something. I, I complimented him on it and he said, you know, he was, I don't know how serious he was, but he said he was toying with the idea of going to old folks homes and interviewing people about their love affairs. I thought that would be a beautiful book or beautiful, you know, this American life or something like that. Anyway, wanted to give a shout out to some listeners who've contacted me recently. Uh, Diana Zaccanini, I guess that's how you pronounce her, your name, Diana. If you happen to be listening, thank you very much for your email. And uh, Paolo, I don't remember your last name, Paolo, but you know it's you. He wrote me a beautiful, Casilda and I, a beautiful email after reading Sex at Dawn. I don't think, I don't know if Paulo mentioned that he listens to the podcast or not, but man, it's really nice to get those sorts of emails from people. Um, Amber as well, uh, Ryan Foley, people who feel compelled to let us know that uh, our book or the podcast or something that, that we're doing matters on a personal level to them. And, and that's the best thing that can happen. You know, that, I mean, right now I'm standing here alone in a room in Vancouver. I don't know where you are. I don't know who you are. And so sometimes it just feels like I'm a guy standing alone in the room talking into a microphone, you know, which is what I am. But it's great when people on the other side of it let you know that they're listening and they like what's going on and they're learning something and there's some value to what's to what you're doing. So thank you so much for that. And along those lines, anybody who's left a review on iTunes Man, thank you. The <laughs> if I luckily I, I don't have if I've got ego problems, it's probably you know overinflation rather than underinflation. So uh, I don't need inflation very often. But if I'm ever feeling down, I'll probably go to iTunes and read some of those uh, comments and reviews because they're um, they're beautiful. They're very very generous and kind and and uh, man, really. Uh, nourishing, I guess is the word. Okay. What else? What else? There's a lot going on in this podcast. Um, as I said, it, I recorded it a couple months ago. I'm sort of stringing these out a little bit because I'm trying not to spend as much time on the podcast, uh, so that I can devote more to the book. I'm under a very heavy deadline and my very kind editor and publisher has already moved the, the deadline back twice because I was working on this TV stuff, which, turns out to be sort of a 
uh, an endless project, just getting it to the point where people are actually talking to TV stations is, is uh, a long and arduous process. Um, but uh, anyway, it's moving along, so maybe it'll amount to something someday. Sure Design T-shirts, our sponsor, wonderful, much appreciated sponsor. We just got a new shipment in, so if you're waiting for those XLs or XXLs, uh, now's, your, now's your time. Uh, ChrisRyanPhD.com, you'll see a store button. Go to the store, order them online. My mom will ship it out to you. Uh, she's incredibly efficient. Everyone should have a mom like I do. She's she's great. Um, and uh, mom gets ten bucks a shirt, so you're supporting mom. And uh, and they're designed, as you know, by Levi Greenacres at LeviGreenacres.com, spelled the way it sounds. He did the the uh, image, beautiful image. And he gets two bucks a shirt. So between Levi and my mom and the shipping, you know, your 20 bucks, that's where it's going. A uh, little of it, whatever's left over after all that goes to uh, support the podcast. So much appreciated. Uh, if you go to shortdesigntshirts.com, you want something other than the Sexaton design, go to shortdesigntshirts.com. And when you check out, put in sex at dawn, one word, sex at dawn, you get 10% off. And uh, he's got, Bennett's got all sorts of very cool designs on the site. So that's shortdesigntshirts.com. What else can I tell you? I wrote a, an article for Playboy uh, about monogamy that's going to be in a special edition, the A to Z of sex that I think comes out in November. So I've got the letter M. You can follow me at Chris Ryan PhD on Twitter. That's also my Instagram tag. And my TED Talk still isn't up. Uh, honestly, I don't know if it'll ever be up. <clears throat> because I broke some TED rules, as it turns out. Uh, yeah. I, and I, I still haven't decided how I feel about this. I mean, on one level, I feel... I feel a little bad because, hey, they invited me to TED. They put me up in a hotel. You know, they're very nice. It's a, it's a great time. Um, uh, and I didn't – what happened was I went out and I made a joke that I didn't make in the rehearsal. Now, look, when I go on stage, I reserve the right to – be spontaneous and to do what feels right to me in the moment. Now, I've never been in a situation where every tiny detail of the performance was supposed to be vetted. And, uh, and also, like, they kept moving the goalposts on me. So I guess I was a little irritated by that. And uh, in any case, I made a joke uh, eh. <laughs> basically, all right, here's the joke. Okay. I walked out on the stage. This is a Ted people pay $7,500 per person to be at this thing. Right. Which is why the audience is almost totally super rich people. You know, you got your movie stars, you got your CEOs, you got your venture capitalists, that's who you got there. You don't have people coming in off the street. You don't have 
normal people. You don't have many professors or students or whatever. They're all in, you know, satellite things where they're watching on closed circuit TV or eventually they'll watch it online for free. So I'm not saying Ted never gets to those people, but when you're at the main event, you know, it's like being at the Carmel Country Club. It's pretty damn exclusive. Uh, so I came out on stage and I said, ah, oh, it's great to be on stage at Ted. It's, it's a dream come true. The only thing that could possibly be better than being on this stage would be to have so much success and so much money that I could afford to be in the audience with you. Well, that didn't get as big a laugh as I was hoping. <clears throat> um, I thought, you know, my, my general instinct is to acknowledge the elephant in the room. I guess you can see a pattern of that in the way I've been living my life, but sometimes uh, people don't want that elephant acknowledged. So <laughs> anyway, all right, cool. So I'll play this, uh, play this out with uh, Sugar Man, as I mentioned, from uh, uh, Rodriguez, and that's in the film Searching for Sugar Man. Hope you enjoy the interview with Ari as much as I did. He's, he's a great, cool, funny dude. Um, and actually, since I recorded this, I saw him perform live with Rogan here in Vancouver. A fantastic show. So if you're in New York and you see Ari's playing somewhere, he's doing a gig, definitely go see him and say hi for me. Thanks. Bye. Sugar man, won't you hurry? Cause I'm tired of these scenes For the blue coin Won't you bring back All those colors to my dreams Silver magic ships you carry Jumpers coke, sweet Mary Check. How's your? Um, hello. Yeah. 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 This is the great. Is good? This is Ari the Great. They're very nice. Ari the Great. It's uh, not recording yet, though. It is. Oh yeah. yeah. It is. I'm see, sorry. I was looking at the, the wrong numbers. numbers. Are spinning. Yeah. <laughs> They're upside down. I was like, nope. <laughs> uh, it's still pretty steady. Don't confuse me, man. Don't scare me. Uh, yeah, we're on. All right. We're sweet. rocking and rolling. We're talking about self-publishing. You yeah. think you're going to do it? Uh, I was thinking about doing it for the third book, and you, and what Ari just said was, you know, you don't get new fans; it's all the same stuff. And the reason I was like, oh, no, let's record, because doing this kind of thing is it's the new fans. You know, that's how yeah. you connect. You know, you do Rogan, you do this, you do, you know, whatever. I do Ted. You know, like yeah. you go on the road. You know, you're always pulling in new fans. So you're yeah. building up your platform. I guess the reality is too that the like Penguin or whatever a publishing house would be doesn't really add anything. They don't really add access to new fans. No, that's the problem. Um, in you know 20 30 years ago you publish a book there'd be a launch party there'd mm -hmm. be a major you know publicity you know com campaign or whatever they they'd put muscle bear they'd send you on a speaking tour that kind of stuff now they don't do any of that a lot of publishers want you to hire and pay for your own copyright uh, editor really or not copyright copy editor you know the the very close textual they won't even editing. give you that and some of them want you to hire your own publicist so then what is the point then? If you're hiring a publicist, right. then what are you guys doing? Exactly. 
And putting the, it in the bookstores I've never heard of anymore. And not even that. I mean, when we published our book, I couldn't find it in a bookstore. It was only being sold through Amazon. So then you could do that. Well, that's the Just thing. Just a picture, click. Yeah. So the problem, and the royalty structure hasn't changed since the good old days yeah. of speaking tours and publicity and all that. So it's like, okay, you're paying me the same cut you paid 30 years ago, but you're doing way, way less than and before you, you had a do. printing press. Like I, could, I didn't have access to a printing press. I can't, I can't right. run off, you know, five thousand copies of a book. Yeah. But now you do. And now they print on demand, too. Like, people still say, you know, oh, you should, you know, do a revised edition, you know, for your next edition. Like, there's no editions. They print them up four, five, six thousand books at a time. Yeah. It's not like, oh, another, you know, 50,000. No, they just print them on demand. You know? As they need them, they just As they up. need them, yeah. Oh, it's so yeah. much easier. Yeah, so. Yeah, those so dinosaurs that, are like, you better, whatever you think it. Right. Well, and, and publishing, you know, like like in many other, like in media in general, music, you know, Napster, all that kind of stuff. It's the same thing. They're so they're, they're so wedded to their old ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was telling a story recently. I sent off the manuscript for Sex at Dawn, um, and this isn't a, a bust on my editor, who's a really cool guy, and he's editing my next book as well. But I like two weeks later, I get back. I sent off the manuscript as a word, you know, email attachment. Right. Two weeks later, I get in the mail a package, yeah, like you know, three inches thick of. Printed paper, single sided, with edits in pencil. Really? It's like, it's like you know, <laughs> it's like ancient manuscripts or something. Like you know, Word does this. Yeah, so we could have done this, that. you know, much with no paper at all, and it could have keep going. <laughs> yeah, keep doing the same nice technological advances. But they, they like t- the old way. Yeah, yeah. Those people will die out. Traditionalists. How long do you think the printing press people? Like the printing press, the um, cotton gin. What was before the cotton? What was uh... the cotton gin? That was Eli Whitney. Yeah, actually, I think a black guy actually invented it, and Eli Whitney took the credit for that it. Sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Now I, I have to describe where we are. This mm-hmm. is we're in a in a classic Hollywood. Uh, we're like right downtown Hollywood. Yeah. We're like a couple blocks from the Comedy Store. Don't want to give it away for any stalkers you might you have. Give my neighborhood. Sorry. <laughs> I don't want to give the exact. We're in an undisclosed location in Hollywood, uh, and there is. I'm proud. I'm very happy to say there is a velvet painting oh, yeah. of Elvis. That's that's pretty late Elvis, right? That's yeah. It that's, seems like he's fat. He's doing the whole costume there. He's got the big sideburns. When I get, I found this at a yard sale somewhere for like five or ten bucks. When I was, I think, in college. <laughs> Um, but when I get high on acid sometimes or mushrooms, if I come home to like finish it off, I, just, yeah. I always focus on the white of Elvis's eyes uh-huh. because it seems like nothing's there, but really someone painted it with white. And I just, my mind just wanders like who sat there and painted this painting. Right. Yeah. I don't know why it always grabs me. Well, it's signed. You could probably track them down. Maybe. You got to think whoever did this is dead. They're not eating well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who idolizes Elvis? That's well, not that's you a know, lover. I mean, maybe it's like some Chinese lady in Shanghai who just got the gig, yeah, and doesn't even know who Elvis is. You <laughs> know, just paint this man. Let, what a great documentary! Like, let's track down whoever painted this velvet painting of Elvis. Wow, I what an how adventure! You could do that? That would be a crazy adventure. Yeah. Did have you seen Searching for Sugar Man? No. Oh, you got to see that. It's it's Which amazing. Oh, it's great. It's it's kind of similar to what we're talking about. It's uh, all right. This guy in the seventies is a musician. Like a he's sort of like a cross between Bob Dylan and um, 
and uh, Jose Feliciano. He's sort of a Hispanic folk singer guy. But he's he's very kind of introverted. He he plays on stage with his back to the audience, really, and he's got long hair over his face and everything. And um, he releases a couple albums, and he's really talented. the The lyrics are fantastic, very catchy stuff, very interesting. Um, but nothing, nothing happens. Like seventy, seventy two, something like that. And he sort of disappears. And somebody uh, takes one of his records to South Africa, and Start, his friends start passing it around and yeah. this guy becomes like the number one really? best-selling musical artist in South African history. He's bigger than Elvis, bigger than the Beatles, massive. Really? But he never hears about it because his record company's stealing all the money. And so he, and then there are all these rumors that he killed himself on stage and, and like no one knows like whatever happened to that dude, like, ah, oh, but everyone loves him in South Africa, but yeah, he's dead, he's dead. He shot himself on stage or whatever. So then one night these guys are hanging out and they're like, you know, let's, let's find out, you know, let's, let's, cause now we've got the internet. We can yeah. start looking into stuff. So they want to find his family and find out who he was and all this stuff. And they start like going through his records, looking for clues to where he was born or where he lived, you know, and he mentions Detroit in a song. So they start looking, you know, sending emails to Detroit and all this. Anyway, turns out the guy's, the guy's not dead. Where was he? He's, he's working construction in Detroit. Whoa. Has no idea. He's like super famous in South Africa. They found him. Yeah. So I'm not giving it away. All this stuff is in the trailer. I normally yeah. I wouldn't tell you they find him, but it's in the trailer. So it's it's meant that you know wow. this going so into the So they find this guy. What does he do when they tell him about all the um The dude is like he's like Buddha. He's he's just so humble and cool and relaxed and he's like you know, working minimum wage, knocking walls down, you know, in condemned buildings in Detroit. Yeah. And so then they, like, his daughters, now it's like 30 years since he's made any records or played a gig or anything. They fly him to South Africa, right? And his daughter's telling the story, and she says, yeah, you know, we, we got off the plane, and this limo pulled up in front of us, and we were like, ooh, careful, we can walk around, there's somebody important around here. <laughs> so they're trying to get around the limo, they're no, no, the limo's for you, you know? And then they thought like there'd be 50 people or something to come here and play. They sold out this arena. It was like 30,000 people sold out five nights in a row or something. It's just this insane scene. Wow. And you see him. He played as an old man. Yeah. Well, he's not not old. He's probably in his early 60s or something, which is old to you, but not to me. But but, uh, he goes on stage and he's completely relaxed. He's like after having it taken off for thirty years. Yeah, and he's Whoa. like, yeah, you know, just completely cool, completely humble, relaxed. That's why I say he's like Buddha. If Buddha had been like a you know a folk singer, yeah, he was just like, yeah, whatever, you know, like, hey, this is cool. And everybody but, went crazy when he played. Oh God, it, it's like literally, I I had tears running down wow. my face watching it. So it's, the people who made it were the ones looking for him. Uh, no, uh, the guy who made it, I think, was is Danish, and it's the only movie he's ever made. And I saw an interview. The two of them were doing an interview, and uh, the interviewer said to him, like, so, you know, what are you going to do next? And he was like, I don't know if I'll ever make another movie because I'll never find another story like this. Yeah. You know, this is one in a million. Somebody's massive and doesn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't happen much. No. Wow, no. that's cool. Most people think they're... Searching for Sugar Man. It won the Oscar this year, best do- best documentary. Oh, cool! Yeah, so it's definitely on Netflix or whatever. Did, uh, Michael Moore won doc- best documentaries for um, the last couple. 
Well, he uh, was it searching for Columbine? I think bowling for Columbine. Bowling, yeah, searching. Piece of shit that was. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you from? Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. And you were now. Am I? You were raised in a an Orthodox Jewish family. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, we're all religious. Kosher in the house. Kosher out of the house. And you're you're still practicing, I see. Yeah. yeah. No. I see you've got a kosher. My mom thinks pot is all over my place. My mom thinks pot is drugs. So if she saw any of these vials, which first of all, she would think it's pills until she opened it. Right. And then she would. Unless she smelled it. Because I can smell it. The vial's closed and I can smell it. And I am not a dog. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great if I stopped by a non-dog sniffing dog. It's like some owner going, like, "Jesus, smell it!" <laughs> exactly. One you of know, the stinkiest drugs there are. It's it's such a great smell, though. I mean, some people say, "Oh, it stinks!" Like, wow, I love that smell. Yeah, it's like with me. For me, it's up there with like, like mint coffee. Really, and it, it's complex, mm-hmm. you know, and rich and um, yeah. I like to smell of cigarettes once in a while. Yeah, unlit cigarettes, tobacco. Oh, unlit. Yeah, for it's me, like the smoke in the air mixed uh, with the sulfur sometimes. Uh, yeah, the match, the, the match yeah. sulfur. Yeah. So I don't know. We, um, by the way, people, I haven't even introduced you. This is oh, yeah, so right. unprofessional. <laughs> I never know how to do it anyway either myself. This is well. I, I'll do, I'll record a like an intro okay. later. You know, with the commercials and whatever. Yeah. So who are we introducing each other to? Um, people already know, right? We already said. Well, yeah, I mean, we're there, we're in this sort of, uh, or I'm, I guess I'm sort of like butting my way into this incestuous little like comedian group you've uh-huh. got here in L.A. Yeah, uh, with you know Rogan and you and Duncan okay. and uh, who else is in the group? I mean, Red Red Band. Is yeah. he, does he do stand up? He's he started in the last couple of years, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm. I'm like uh, the skunk at the party. Yeah. <laughs> the brand new person. <laughs> but uh, yeah. The narc. But I, I mean, I probably have some listeners who wouldn't know who you were. Um, oh, sure. You know, because you guys in the comedy world, but I'm, I'm in the more sort of intellectual. Uh, well, I'm a comedian. <laughs> um, that, that might be my introduction. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's your introduction. Yeah, right. I'm a lowbrow comedian. Very, uh, very uh, edge, edgy. Uh, do you describe yourself as edgy? No, that word's got such a um, attachment to it. Oh, what's it mean? It, it means like you know, walking the line, probably. But all these comics but use you it do. as a. I mean, I'm I looking guess. on your wall. I see "Revenge for the Holocaust." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's my album that's title. Pretty edgy, man. Revenge. It's a juice spider hunting a Hitler fly. I mean, that could have been the inspiration for Quentin Tarantino's *Inglorious Bastards*. <laughs> what a right great there. movie that was! Oh yeah. God, when they started shooting up Hitler at the end, I was like, "What? Oh, they're oh wow, they're doing this." Yeah. Yeah, Tarantino's great. He he does not give a shit. Uh uh-uh. uh It's so wonderful. You know, any artist who His doesn't give a shit. It's just, I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah. And he's been able to get by. Well, you know, I was thinking recently about George Carlin, yeah. right? And how one of the things I love about George Carlin is his not giving a shit. But that was something that came late in his career after he yeah. had already, like, really, you know, he was there. So he could afford not to give a shit. I think inside he never gave a shit, but he tried. You know, he was wearing the tie the and the then the weatherman. I saw his earliest time in my life. And uh, I just watched it the other day. Oh, yeah? And he did stand-up on there, and it was like, it's kind of like observational comedy. Right. Kind of like that late 80s thing. Right. It was like weird. Yeah. I mean, it was still him. He didn't have a gray beard. He had a regular dark beard. But right. like, it just wasn't 
it wasn't harsh at all. It wasn't edgy. Was this at around all. class clown days. I don't know. Uh, it was on. It was one of the first like year of Saturday Night Live. Wasn't that was. Andy Kaufman on the first Saturday Night Live, and he got like he he fucked it all up because he in the middle of the skit he broke and he said, oh, "I can't do this. This is terrible." <laughs> Did I told he really? You I had to rewrite this. Yeah, he. Yeah, look, Google it. There's. Wow. It's either Saturday Night Live or. Or maybe there was an, a competitor for Saturday Night Live. He was on Saturday Night Live a few times. I think it was Saturday Night Live. And I think Lorne Michaels said that guy can never come back. But then later, you know, 10 years later, he, he changed his mind. Wow. But yeah, he. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was the very first episode of Saturday Night Live. And he sabotaged the whole thing <laughs> by just breaking character. And, and you can see, I've seen the video and the other actors, are, the other comedians are just like, What's he doing? What would uh, uh, what do you, you know? Like, what do we do now? And they tried to keep going with the skit, and he's well, like, "No, I told you we can't do it this way. This isn't funny. I'm telling you, it's just not funny this way." And like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a guy who didn't give a shit no. from the beginning. Yeah, not like Carlin. Thing. Yeah, he has bred so many like annoying comedians. <laughs> That are trying to be weirdos and like uh, it's just yeah. trying too hard. Some good ones too, I guess. But man, yeah. You know, I walked. That was that, I, I was so into uh, the movie A Man on the Moon, the biopic about him, and I walked out of it. And I know I never Why? walk out of movies. I think because I, I, I don't know. I think because I felt like Andy Kaufman was doing something that was truly brilliant, and the movie. Amazing. was too formulaic it was too it, oh, the yeah. movie didn't have a fraction of the balls that he brought to to his art yeah you know what i mean it would be like making a movie about i don't know john lennon starring keanu keanu reeves yeah. or something you know what i mean it's like what the fuck is this jim like jim carrey's a great actor you know but i still have a neon of, of uh, jim carrey at the comedy store as andy kaufman Oh really? Yeah, from the movie, they made it so he could do a night at the guys. Oh right, then. right. And then they still just kept it up there. Wow. I, what do you mean in neon? Like they a, had these neon outlines in the main room. That oh, come on oh, of like, okay, of like right. uh, May West and uh, all those old slappy Winklestein. I don't know. So what? Someone recently told me that May West was actually a man. No way. Have you ever heard? You never I've heard never that. Never heard that. I never heard that until just recently. But I've got fucked up friends. I have another friend who tried to tell me that Lay Lady Lay. The great Dylan song was written to his dog. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> well, I I mean when she told me that, I it's said so I got out I said song. we gotta play that. And yeah. lay lady lay lay across my big brass bed. Lay lady by the way, Yvonne, you can cut here and play uh, an excerpt of Lay Lady Lay <laughs> now that we're adding music. Thanks to Harry, yeah. we're adding music. Uh, yeah, it's softly in the but, back. But then it's like but then it's like, you know, you can have your cake really? and eat it too. Lady no, it's bullshit. She was, someone put her on, and she's been going around telling people that, and finally I put it into it. Oh, really? Yeah. No, because you listen to the lyrics. It's like, um, why wait anymore? Why wait any longer for the one you love when he's standing in front of you? You don't sing that No, you don't. <laughs> I have heard songs that were two dogs, though, and they could pass as women. Um, who had a song about it? Gaggy Ta? I don't know. In, like, that. the early 90s. Pink Floyd has a song that's written to a dog. Really? And, and the dog it's written to and for sings on the song. Really? It's called Seamus. Seamus? Yeah, it's on the metal album. Uh, it, it's a blues tune, and there's this is also Googleable because they 
taped it, I mean, they videotaped it for their movie called Pink Floyd Live at Pompeii. Okay. And you see them all sitting in the dirt in the ruins of the Colosseum at Pompeii or whatever they're sitting in. And um, they've got this hound dog lying on his side. And the blues tune goes, well, I was in the kitchen. Shame as my old dog was outside. Well, I was in the kitchen. Shame as the dog was outside. The sun was sinking slowly. My old hound dog sat right down and cried. Yeah, classic blues. And then you hear this song. This dog right doing it there at Pompeii? He does a solo. Well, that's the live version, but then the on the album is a studio version. Wow. But definitely the dog is is singing along with, with the music. Yeah. Wow. It's recorded in one take. Seamus? Seamus, S E A M U S on yeah. the metal album. Highly recommended. Not only it's a good blues tune, but also it's interspecies communication right there, you know. <laughs> You're going to beat that. I mean, that it's is pretty song. That is pretty intense, you know. Yeah. I saw a thing recently there about um, rhythm in animals, and it's never been... Did they have it? Well, it hasn't been shown in any mammal. It's only been in humans, and a certain birds have been trained, have shown the capacity to uh, express rhythm with their bodies, move to music, like parrots. Yeah. But recently, a guy in Monterey trained a sea lion. To do it? To, to earth, wind, and fire. Yeah. Wow. And he could move and along with the beats. Do, 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 do Boogie Wonderland. Yeah. And the, the sea lion's going with Boogie Wonderland. That's amazing. How do they have a budget for deciding whether or not animals have rhythm? Like, how is that in the research budget? Yeah. Over cloning or... Well, 
It's a pretty. That's a pretty interesting thing to to research. I guess so. What are we going to do with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, but see, that's the beauty of pure science. You don't have to ask what, what you do with it. Do yeah, with this, it. Yeah. yeah. It's like most really interesting things. You just stumble on it because you're looking for something else and what serendipity, right? Yeah. Find out if sea lions have rhythm or not. Yeah, and who knows what it'll lead to? <laughs> a boy band. A yeah. new boy band. Sea lion bands. <laughs> a brand new Alvin and Chipmunk spinoff. All right. So. So what the hell is it like to be a, a comedian? It's great, dude. Yeah? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's just like... Uh, Do, have you always wanted to be a comedian? I always had it in my head. Um, Tell me about the first time... Yeah. Like, the other day I was talking to Rogan. I'm sure you've heard this story. Yeah. You and Rogan you know, go on trips together and all that. Yeah, a lot. Um, but, by the way, he's... Man, I, told, I sent you an email. Like, he's... I asked him, I said something about you, and he, his face lit up like oh, a yeah, proud Oh, yeah, super positive. He's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he loves you, man. Uh, what a great guy. I, mm-hmm. I like him a lot. Yeah, he's turned us all into headliners through his, that podcast and through um, just supporting us. Yeah. Giving us, like, well, careers. But, but, and not only... Taught us to fish. Well, and, and I think there's also a sense of, you know, recognizing talent and cultivating something that's already there. It's not yeah. like he couldn't give you something that you couldn't hold on to yourself, you know? Yeah. But that, yeah, the the understanding of non-zero sum thinking, I think, is so crucial, and so few people get it. What do you mean? Maybe I'm one of them. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, no, you understand it, even if you don't know the terminology. Zero sum thinking is like, is like if you have something, that means I can't have it. Oh right, right. So yeah. so the, the is mathematically it always adds up to zero. So if the one goes to your side of the equation, then it's taken away from my side, right? right? So you know you're successful, then I envy you because that means I'm not. You know I feel unsuccessful. Whereas so the, the reality is, is yeah. like you can have a beautiful, great girlfriend, and so can I. Yeah. You know, or you can have lots of money, so can I. Right. It's not like there's a certain amount of success in the world, and if you get some, I'm going to get less. You know, but that's the way people tend to think by default, just because oh, we yeah. live in a zero sum, you know, world, economic world, particularly. You know, so yeah, he doesn't really think that he way. doesn't think that way at all. It's like great, yeah. You know, it's I asked him once. I've been headlining more on my own the last couple of years, and and um worked with a lot of local guys because i can't really bring my own people yet like he could but um i've seen them make mistakes like they're newer comments make mistakes that i knew i was making too right and then i asked rogan i was like how when you started taking me on the road like how bad was i <laughs> and he started laughing and it's like why i'm like i've seen people i know i was not much better than that yeah and he was like i guess there was something in you that i liked yeah and also, it must be a great as a as a young comic coming up. It must be the ideal environment, you know, to go because you're with this guy who's got a following. Uh-huh. The people who come out are super positive. Don't have to play their game, right? Of you got to say this or this. Yeah, you be here. No, whatever. you're yeah. You've got like you've got the leverage of a bigger star because you're attached to this guy. But also, the audience is going to be really friendly to you because they know you're friends with this guy that they already love yeah you know yeah, so they're right, not right. gonna trash you if you fuck up or you you know whatever yeah. they're gonna be much more forgiving i would think than it's a cooler audience they're there for yeah. comedy and not just like oh we'll do we'll do a comedy club this week like right they're there because they know a little about comedy right right um so even if they have no idea who i am they still know how to be an audience yeah you know but yeah even in the earliest for like message board and stuff there was always like a couple percent of people if there was 300 people they'd be like 15 or so that when they say you know when you start introducing my name they'd be like oh right like you just hear them a little bit just fill you with calm oh right because they know who you are over right. yeah yeah that's cool and yeah. he was always like say whatever you want to say 
dude, I don't care, you know? Right. He really only cares. He supports, like, the idea of just, it's like, don't steal anything, like right. what you say, and then everything else, just go for it. Yeah. Just learn and try to be good at it. I did 40 minutes once, like 42 minutes. You're supposed to do, if you're, like, opening, if it's just a two-man show, you're supposed to do maybe, like, 20, 25 minutes. Right. That seems about right. Up to, like, half an hour, maybe. Right. Um, and I did 42 minutes in Denver. It was such a good crowd. Because you were just rolling. Yeah. And um, Red Band was there. And he's like, dude, that was 40-something minutes. I was like, no, it was not. It's before I would record my stuff on my iPhone so I could see the exact time. Right. And he showed me the, the tape. Like, he rewound it to zero because this is when you get on. <laughs> he goes, here's where you get off at 42, 37, whatever. So he told you this when you came off stage. Red Band did. Yeah, yeah. I brought Rogan on. He was on stage. I was like, oh, fuck. So then later... Uh, the next day or later that night, I apologized. I was like, "Hey, dude, I'm really sorry. I won't, I won't do that anymore." Um, and he goes, "Oh, I don't care." I'm like, "Yeah, okay, thank you, but um, I shouldn't have done that." And just so you know, it won't happen again. He goes, "No, no, I literally don't care." He was like, "I had a really good set. Right? You were having a great set. Show me where that's bad." Right? Yeah, non-zero something. <laughs> yeah. There it is. Because there's no it. negatives that I can see. So yeah. It's, it's not like he had to do less time yeah. because you did more. Because it wasn't, no it second wasn't show like we got night. an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, that would be zero-sum thinking. Like, yeah. you went long, he had to cut short. Yeah. Non-zero-sum thinking is, hey, it's all good. Everyone's laughing. Just we get you know, go till it's over. It's all my liquor. Yeah, right. Exactly. Everyone's happy. I mean, that's sort of how he does his podcast. You know, I was talking earlier about how doing a podcast, doing your podcast a couple weeks ago sort of um, uh, spurred me to think about this in a whole new way. Like, you know, we did this podcast on the porch of the comedy store yeah. with all these buses going by, and I was like, nobody's going to be able to hear a fucking word we're saying. You here. heard it, right? Did you listen to it? Yeah, well? I listened to it. Yeah, it was like, fantastic. It, you could hear, I and mean, you could hear a rumble occasionally, but, but it wasn't really distracting yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, so, so that revolutionized things, and and I think I said before we started recording that that led me to record the podcast that went up today with Stanley, the special road trip edition. That's so cool. Um, because I, I, you know, understand microphones better now, I guess. But also, yeah, I did one with Duncan on the way to on the way to the Brea Improv. We oh, great! An hour ten minutes to get down there, and we just yeah. made a great podcast about Buddhism or something. Duncan Trussell Family Hour. If the yeah. I don't think there could possibly be anyone listening to this who doesn't know who Duncan Trussell is, yeah. <laughs> because I talk about him all the time. You talk about him all the time. But if if there is a Duncan Trussell virgin out there, uh, definitely yeah. check him out. Google Duncan Trussell Family Hour. He um, had some dates on the East Coast recently, like up and down. And so I retweeted. I saw it randomly, and I retweeted him. And he goes, oh, thanks. I was like, yeah, the eight people who right. know about you but are not following you but are following me, right. they'll yeah. now know. Yeah, there's a, the Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Rogan's thing, you're talking about non-zero sum and the time and all that. Like, the when I was on his podcast, that was the first time I'd been on a podcast that's just like, you talk till you don't feel like talking anymore. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I when I went yeah. in there, I was like, okay, this is about an hour, right? And he's like, meh, no, three hours weird. normally. You Dude, know? I told him early on. And I was like, because he was starting a podcast, and he was like, yeah, let's skip. I was like, dude, three, this is way too long. Yeah. I'm telling you right now that no one's going to have the, the attention span to listen for more than an hour. That's, yeah. that's, it's got to be there. Right. And man, I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 was, I was with you. I was like, you know, an hour's pushing it. Yeah. I, I would think an hour's. People listen to it at work and on the road. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's got the good moments here or there. Well, the problem is. It's not TV. And maybe, I, here's a thing that's, I, I don't know if this makes sense, but. I always used to hear your audience is not you as a writer that like people, you know, writing teachers or professors I had in college would remind me of that. And 
but your audience is you. Yeah, they really are. Also, it's like they're not exactly you, so you have to understand what references might not work. They might yeah. not have learned something, but they have their same sensibilities. Otherwise, they're not into your shit. Yeah, and when Comedy Central wants everybody to edit their material because some housewife in Arkansas doesn't like right. – might not like what you're going to do or definitely won't like what you're going to do. It's like, what's different? She was never going to be a fan anyway. Ex- well, so what that, we- that is such a big thing. That's how, in publishing, I, in, my, in Sex at Dawn. I got a lot of edits, a lot of notes from, from the editors and, and my age and stuff trying to like uh, neutralize it because yeah. it could sell more then. It's a generalizing of of of, uh, of entertainment that right. I see in movies too. Exactly. It's like, let's just make it a B, B minus, but yeah. let everybody feel that way. Right. But that's bullshit. You and that, and special. That's, yeah, you're not special. You're not doing something meaningful, and you're not connecting with people who are enthusiastic about what you're doing because right. you're not really resonating with anyone. You're sort of half resonating with a lot with of people. with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And that's not really anything. That's How about bullshit. just get people that really resonate with those few, right? And the other five percent, someone else will really resonate, right? And then you just you get everyone that'll resonate with everybody, and yeah. you're okay if you're a studio or something. There's or, a guy who did a, a TED talk not too long ago. He's like a marketing guru or something, and he said. You, you don't try to have a million fans. Try to have a thousand rabid fans, yeah. and that'll make your career. Because then, when you want to, you know, you tweet, "Hey, I'm going to be in Chicago." One of those fans knows someone who owns a club who will like go out and set it all up for you. Yeah. Whereas if you got a million lukewarm fans, nobody's going to do are. shit. Yeah. Yeah, I compared it early on. I saw this when Jim Norton, who's a comedian who's on uh, Opie and Anthony, this radio show in New York, syndicated though. Yeah, I've heard of it. Um, like I compared him to Brad Garrett to that brother on Everybody Loves Ray, mm. uh, and I was like that guy Brad Garrett. More people know him. He's on a TV show that's right. viewed by millions. But Norton can sell out places because he's got a, a direct link to his fans. Right. And if they're like less people know him, but the people who do, like I'm going to see you. Right. Right. Well, and that relates back to our our first the first part of the conversation with um, publishing self publishing. Right. Mm-hmm. If you've got that kind of fan base, then it makes self- sense to self-publish because you don't need this, yeah. you know. And they're really robbing the writer on that. Oh, it's it's such a ripoff. You're I mean, getting less than the government gets. Yeah. On sales, sales tax. tax. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have and to I give wrote them. It. Yeah. <laughs> and then I pay tax on what I get. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. I mean, and on ebooks, yeah. which you know. Ebooks, there's no additional cost to the publisher. There's no paper. There's no shipping. You know, obviously, yeah. it's none of that stuff. It's already edited, so all the the investment by the publisher is already made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a writer, you get seventeen percent. Really, and you have no control over pricing. So, for example, in Australia, they wanted to sell the ebook version of our book for twenty eight dollars. And I was like, are E-book you version? fucking kidding me? You're going to charge $28 for for an email? For the th- yes, yeah, stuff that doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, that, you know, that makes sense because they don't want it to be too competitive that people won't buy the paper book. And they're oh, selling right. the paper book for 30 bucks. So I said, fuck it. No, 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 no ebook rights. I won't sell any. So uh, there's no ebook available in Australia, Australia. New Zealand because I don't want to rip people off. Yeah. I'd rather yeah, they fucking gem, download dude. it illegally. It's you a know? Pearl Jam. The book we're not going to tour unless you give us a normal percentage, so we don't have to raise our ticket price to thirty five dollars. Right. And Louis C.K. Now that's mm-hmm. the beauty of what's going on now that the internet is is mature enough that we can go right around those guys. Yeah. You know, sell yeah, tickets okay. online, download your comedy special for well, five that's bucks. What, when I had a, when I had my CD came out. All I remember was, and that's the cover of it. Uh-huh. And I was like, all that's all you're going to see. You're not going to see Warner Brothers or anything else. You're just going to see that picture. 
of so I, what Ari as a <laughs> as a black widow spider with a Jewish star on his back. Uh-huh. And who who are oh and that's Hitler that's that Hitler. you're about to He's a fly. devour. Hitler with fly eyes. <laughs> But I told Kevin, the guy who made it, I was like, all I really think is, I think we should put it on a bright color. Uh-huh. I think that will stick out on the iTunes page where it's just little picture, little picture, little picture. Yeah. And yeah, and he made that and it went to number one on iTunes. Really? Humble brag. No <laughs> just shit. brag. Yeah, I was really happy with it. But I'm like, you don't need Warner Brothers. What do they offer you? Number one on iTunes? For a week. On a, comedy. A, a comedy, comedy yeah. CDs or comedy downloads or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. How yeah. long ago was that? September. Oh. Yeah. Recently. Yeah. Rock and roll. Dude, where's the Maserati? <laughs> I didn't make that much. You'd be surprised <laughs> how few albums get sold. I would number one on iTunes in that I much. wouldn't. I've got a New York Times bestselling book. Everybody thinks I'm like living in a mansion. 20 million copies? Like, what, yeah. wait, who 20 million copies? Not 20 million readers in America. <laughs> yeah, what are you exactly. talking about? Exactly. And they're all reading, you know, Fifty Shades <laughs> yeah. of Fucking Gray, man. I did a, an interview for ABC 2020. Uh-huh. I mean... They came to my parents' house and, you know, the big truck in front of the house with all the gear and the camera guy and the sound guy and the light guy and blah, 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 the whole fucking thing. Like a two-hour interview, and it never aired because that same – the week they were going to air it, they got an exclusive with the woman who wrote Fifty Shades of Grey, and she (sighs) bumped my ass right off the show. Why did you just get on next week or the week after? Because that was their sex show or whatever. I don't know what that was. I came out of an audition once. I saw these like – 33, 35 year old actresses. I knew a couple of them, and they were all gossiping like hens, just around a circle. You, you know how they get sometimes. They're like, we're just yapping about something. <laughs> um, and I came out. I just made a joke. I was like, "What are you guys talking about? Twilight, the books." This is right in the, before the first movie came out. Yeah. And they were like, "Yes, we are." They were so mad oh, at me. Oh, you nailed it. And I was like, "Really? Whoops." Yeah. Some of those things. <laughs> It's not, it's not for us. That's all right, all. all right. So, can I continue the travel log? Oh, yeah. Take it. So then, on the on the other wall, we've got a mirrored sort of thing that says "Hunter's Ale on Draft." Uh huh. But you're not actually a beer drinker. So, did you inherit that or something? No, I think that was another yard sale thing. Just oh, a mirror. You're a yard sale guy. Yeah. And then we've got a dollar bill with a star of David. Is that no? no that's not a star of David. That's a five star. Uh, what, yeah. What the hell? Shepherd Fairy painting. Oh, really? Yeah. Not a painting. It's a print. print. But it's, uh-huh. that's the Obey Giant sign in the middle of the star. Oh, right. Right. Oh, I didn't recognize it because of George Washington yeah. in the background. Right. He had this campaign for a while in LA and he put up those billboards and it was it was just called This Is Your God Project. And it was just pictures of bills and it says This Is Your God right. underneath it instead of $1 bill or and God We Trust. Yeah. They were pretty cool when they popped up. Shepard Ferry. Interesting guy. Yeah. You ever talked to him? I've never talked to him. No. No. He was going he's blind. Out, he's out of my, my league, I think. Really? Yeah. You're out of my league, Gary. Come on. I mean, I don't even know what league I'm in. I'm just <laughs> I'm just faking it here in Hollywood. I, I rolled in. Yeah. You know, do you know who Neil Strauss is? Uh-huh. He wrote The Game. Yeah. Um, I didn't read it, but I'm... What I have to say that? But, but, <laughs> I'm familiar enough with what it is. I have to get and out you of lay it. that shit on women? Is that, is that what you're going to say? Do I never try it. Or? I've been accused here or there. Like, you're using tips from this, aren't you? I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm but... Jewish. Some a lot of people do, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. No, I wanted to talk to you about the, the Jewish thing because for a couple of years of my life... I should probably stop doing this. I mean, I was talking to um, Baron Vaughn. Yeah. Do you know him? Mm-hmm. 
and I, I, I kind of feel like I talk too much about the black experience. Oh, yeah. It depends what, how much people want to talk about it, I guess. Now, he was cool with it, but I, I heard myself, and I'm like, am I talking about being black again? Jeez, yeah, to maybe me, that's I usually should a let sign. that go. If I'm, talk, if I'm cursing too much, and I, can, I hear it myself on my stage, and I'm like, I'm cursing. Said, that's usually a sign. It. I'm like, I am. Yeah. I'm cursing way too much. Or maybe noticed. I'm just, like, hypersensitive about it for some reason, yeah. or, you know, whatever. I thought that, too. And not just cursing, but anything where you're like, right. ooh, that seemed too obvious in a conversation. Right. And, like, maybe they didn't notice, but it's like, you're at least walking the border. Pull, like, pull it back either way. Well, that's why it's great. And, and that, uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine that hanging out with comedians is, is like, really cool because so much fun they will tell you when you i am what i'm what i'm trying to say is like okay i've got some friends who are writers okay and if they send me something and say hey dude would you take a look at this and give me feedback i know they really want feedback i don't have to play games i don't have to worry about ego compliments you know like they know i respect them or they wouldn't have sent it to me you know we've already established that ego protective bullshit right (laughs) Right. so i imagine as a comedian you you know you get on stage you bomb you bomb you bomb you get better you bomb again you you know you're used to you've paid your dues and everyone you're hanging out with they've been through that yeah so if you say something like yeah that's funny and then like duncan might say dude that's actually not funny whereas normal people would never dare to say that you fake laugh right you get fake laughs exactly comics don't bother especially at clubs right because because they know how valuable it is to get the real true feedback okay before you're on stage you're a sociologist right anthropologist psychologist whatever so it's all the same borderline anyway yeah so here's my theory about women in comedy because there's always this back and forth. Are women funny or are women not right. funny? And it's this weird thing. And it's like, well, who cares? Individual women, who cares? Oh, May about, West oh, was funny. Yeah, sure, maybe. maybe. she was a dude. <laughs> maybe she was a dude. Yeah, so that's she doesn't count. <laughs> but like individually, like you're funny. So what does it matter about the rest of your group that you associate with? You know. But um, my theory is that I've seen this happen in women before, comics, right. where they'll get off stage and they had like a C- minus set. It wasn't good. Right. Whatever they are, whatever level they are. I see where you're going. And then they get off, and these comics, especially older, more respected comics, they see a woman who they want to protect. That's sort of a natural. Paternal. Yeah. Or or bang. Or absolutely. Stup. Yeah, nice. I speak Yiddish. And uh, do you? Uh, Stup, schlep. Oh, yeah. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) And so they say, nah, that crowd was terrible. Like, nah, nah, that one joke was awesome. And then in your mind, this comic, this respected comic, he tells that's an A minus. You know you had a C minus. So then you sort of average it in your head, and you just had a B minus set. So you lose your own bearings. Yeah, and then yeah. you lose the desire. Like I got to get that better instead right. of going like, man, it's about average. I'm there, yeah. Well, and then it makes it harder for you to develop yeah. and progress. Yeah, is that possible? Yeah, no, that's that's. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's that's demonstrated. Mean, because dudes get off stage, and if it doesn't go well, I mean, yeah. we're just getting a razzing. We're not like, right. nah, don't worry about this. Yeah. Like, why do you work like this? You shouldn't be a comedian, <laughs> idiot. Drive a taxi. <laughs> yeah, it's C minus and like F is the response we get. Yeah. Well, you know, I lived, I don't know if I mentioned this when you and I were talking on your podcast, but I lived in a house full of fashion models for a few years. Oh, nice. So I didn't mention that. I don't know. I don't think It was so. in Barcelona. Yeah, I um, I lived in this mansion and the the woman who owned the mansion had turned it into a bunch of studio apartments yeah. so it was in this walled compound with swimming pool and flowering trees and it was a beautiful paradise kind of place um and everyone who lived there was a fashion model except me right so i uh 
I was the ugly dude in the house, you know, which was interesting from an ego perspective. I'd come yeah. home at night and, and also they were like moving through like they most of them didn't stay there for more than a week or something because they were on the circuit, you know, Barcelona, Milan, Paris, whatever. And um, so I come home at night sometimes and there'd be like 10 or 15 incredibly good looking people sitting around the table getting drunk and smoking joints. And I'd walk in and they'd be like, oh, hey, yeah, what's up? And I'd join them and. And after a while, it always happened. Someone would say, so what agency are you with? To you? Yeah. Just <laughs> assuming I was a model, even though they were confused how I could possibly be a model. <laughs> yeah. And so I had this stock line. I'd say, yeah, I do hand and ear work. You know, I'm, you, know you might recognize me. I was on Hearing Aid Weekly, you know, or whatever. And half the time they fell for it. They would really? be like, oh, yeah, yeah, your, your ear looks familiar. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? My ear looks familiar. <laughs> and, um, My friend Steve Simone used to tell people that he was the gooch on Different Strokes, which is the bully. <laughs> the gooch. Arnold had. Yeah, they, he was uh, never on the show. He was just referenced, like, watch out, because right. the gooch is going to come at two. Right. Uh, and then he used to say that as his credit when he got brought on stage. Uh-huh. And people would be like, yeah, I remember you from that. Yeah. And he's like, oh. that character wasn't even ever on. You don't exist. remember me. Yeah. There was a guy. All right. Remind me to tell you about the guy in Times Square. But uh, uh-huh. wait, finishing the model story. So oh, I yeah. met a lot of models and I actually wrote my master's thesis on the psychological profile of fashion models. Really? Yeah. They're weird. Well, what you were saying about women comics applies to women models. Huh. From a, in, a more, in a different kind of way. But from a very young age, they're being told... Oh, you're great. You're great. From like 13, 14. Oh, you're fantastic. Oh, yeah. And they're dealing with rejection, which comedians are, you know. Yeah. So they, so you build. Well, it's more. Only one person gets a part. You can have five funny comics in a night. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, but anyway, they don't develop because they don't have to. Because everyone's telling them you're awesome. And all the dudes want to be with them and everybody wants to take them out to dinner and everything's paid for all the time. And so there's this weird sort of like a veneer of arrogance built on an empty insecurity. Like a king or queen. It's like you haven't really done anything to deserve this. Right. Or someone who's born with a lot of money, you know, Mitt Romney's kids. They're probably dicks. Uh, (laughs) That one dude's definitely gay. I mean, come on. Which one? One of his kids? A really cute one. I mean, there's a dude. There, there's some guys are know. so good looking they have to be gay. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I have a theory the, with, gen, the yeah. gene for being that good looking is also the gene that makes you gay. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's the only way it's possible. <laughs> I'm sorry, John Hamm. Sorry to break it to you. <laughs> You're gay. <laughs> Brad Pitt. Sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Take it from me. I'm the doctor. Brad Pitt has a different kind of hot, doesn't he? Yeah, he's a more sort of rustic hot. Yeah. Those guys yeah. have a chance, maybe. I don't really know. <laughs> I have a theory that anyone who you think that might be gay, and people are like, no, no, they're just, they're just a little feminine. It's like, no, no, that, that guy's gay. Yeah. Or anorexic applies to that, too. When people are like, no, no, they're just small boned. You're like, stop fooling yourself. Right. It's just what you want to believe. Right. Look yeah. at their legs, same size as their thighs. Yeah, that's the that's bad anorexic. Sign. Yeah, yeah. Or the guy in Times Square, oh, which yeah. relates to your friend being, you know, claiming he was this character. Okay, this yeah. guy, Google this shit. It's out there. I've seen it. This guy hires two big black dudes yeah. and a guy with a, a TV camera and sets it up like the black dudes are his bodyguards and there's a guy with a TV camera filming him. And he walks through Times Square with this 
scene, right? With the the guy with the camera and the two guys like flanking him. And then there's another, there's someone else planted nearby as like a reporter. And so what happens is a crowd gathers. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, because he's acting famous. He's got the bodyguards and the guy with the camera interviewing him. And so then the other guy starts interviewing people who are gathered around saying, hey, do you like Aries work? Yeah. You know? And like, oh, yeah, he, oh, I love his work. I, you know, his early stuff was better, but I still check. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah. And like they, they, they're not lying, right? I mean, they think they know they who this guy is. Themselves. And he's not like pretending to be someone famous. Whatever name he used was his real name. And. He, you know, he wasn't famous, yeah. but just by the trappings of fame, people convinced themselves that they knew who this guy was. Wow. Fame is so weird. Yeah. They had a fake, on the old TV guy channel, they had a fake hypnotist who was like, yeah, I'm not doing anything to these people, but see how many of them were just convinced, like, I'll play along. Right. They'll just like, they go for act it. Like, uh, like, oh yeah, I see aliens. <laughs> and so whatever he says. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I'm not doing anything to you. I'm taking out a pocket watch and putting it back in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there. Yeah, it's celebrities a weird thing on people. Yeah. Yeah, and it's you're right. It's sort of like hypnosis. It's, yeah. And people have different levels of hypnotic ability. It's called. It's a psychological trait that is apparently yeah. genetic. Some of it's innate. Yeah. Yeah, and you can tell. And what those what group hypnotists do that we don't see is before the they start taping the show, they do some tests with the audience. Like they'll do a thing where, you know, hold your hold your left hand out, palm down, fingers out, close your eyes. And now I want you to imagine there's a string tied to your middle finger. And uh, you feel that string wrapped around your finger. It's it's a little tight. It's not too tight. So you like get the get the mental image. Really get it. Yeah. And now there is uh, a balloon at the bottom of the the string tied to the bottom. But the, there's water running into the balloon, and the balloon's starting to get heavier now. And you can feel it's getting heavier and heavier. And so everyone's got their eyes closed. So the guy's on stage doing this, and he sees some people. Their hands start going down. Wow. So then later in the show, when he picks an, uh, yeah, an audience member, that's ah, who he'll pick. Because he knows It's not even a plant. They're just like, these guys are going to be the ones you want it's to It's not a here. plant. It's just you already know it'll work on them. Jeff Ross does that. Um, he's like, he does a lot of roasts, uh, um, you know, like celebrity roasts right. and stuff. And he does this thing on stage now where he just says, um, let's do a live roast. Whoever wants to come up and get roasted, come on up. <laughs> and his theory is the only people that are going to come up mm-hmm. are the type you want up there. They're quiet, like, oh, don't make fun of me. They're never going to jump up at that opportunity. But he just right. goes, who wants to come up? Come on up. He goes, let's get a couple girls. And he just gets like 10, 12 people on there. And he's like, all right, that's enough. And he'll just start making fun of them? Yeah. And he's that's how he weeds out. Yeah, he'll just mock their clothing or say right. you look like. He's just he's so good at it. Well, they're all narcissists, right? Because yeah. they're all desperate to get on stage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so the Jewish thing. Yeah. What, what I didn't tell you is... um. When I was in New York, I, I went to New York after I was in Alaska, yeah. gutting fish. And I, you want some reefer at all? Um, no, maybe after. Okay. I'm working. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. I don't know how you react to it. But, yeah. but you go ahead. You go yeah. ahead. I'll, I'll, <laughs> it'll be like the podcast no one will want to listen to because I'll be babbling on it. <laughs> That's always my fear. Yeah. They're all the same. Um, but anyway, I, I ended up just through pure happenstance. I got a job in the Diamond District. Which is all everyone there is Jewish in New York, me. yeah. Okay, Forty Seventh yeah. Street. Yeah. So I was not only working there; I lived there. I'm like the only person who has ever lived in the Diamond District. Wow. Yeah, 
and it was strange because everybody just thought I was Jewish. You know, like uh, that guy's always here. He works he here. Must he, he must oh, be they Jewish. Really stick to themselves. Those and red hair. You know, there's like Woody Allen. You know, Albert Einstein had red hair. Did not know that. Yeah, most don't. Most Jesus don't. too. No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was black. Yeah, Isn't Jesus black? I really would love to see a picture of him just so we can get it over with. Just a Polaroid. That's what he even. exactly looked yeah, like. Yeah. He was fat. <laughs> what if he was fat? That'd be the worst. <laughs> People were like, I could take black. I could take white. <laughs> any air. But fat? No one fat thinks that's Jesus. hot. Jesus. I mean, like on the cross with a big pot belly. Yeah. Because he's got the great six pack. Yeah. He's got a great six pack. Jesus six pack. Just standing up all day long and proselytizing? Proselytizing's a tough gig. If he would like dragged that cross for like for like months and months i could see it right but he just dragged it up there right one time he might have gotten some help too oh yeah nobody thought to help him huh how hard can it be to drag a cross really yeah dirt roads it's not like it's (laughs) you know they're (laughs) semi-smooth all right (laughs) so what do you want to say about judaism (laughs) hey that's edgy we're being edgy um yeah anyway all these shitty comics would call themselves edgy i'm like oh the crowd must not get it because i'm edgy and like you don't want to be associated with that kind of like yeah yeah you're just a bad yeah you don't have a punchline there that's the so you what's the difference between a comic and a comedian here's what i always heard yeah it was that a comic tells says funny things and a comedian says things that are makes them funny so like uh, a comic would just have one-liners and a comedian would take what he believed like carlin would be more of a comedian oh. mitch hedberg is more like a comic so more conceptual yeah and then i said once when someone explained it to me this waitress eleanor is a comedian now too and i was like so comedian is better and she goes no i don't want to hear fucking philosophy from a comic i want to hear a good dick joke like that's not what it's not what i want to hear from you i'll so, get that from poets so like observational jerry seinfeld stuff yeah, that's more like comics. That's more comic. But really, that's that's an ancient idea. Right. Nobody, everyone's just like, that's a funny comedian, that's a funny comedian. Yeah. Nobody really does that anymore. And do they still, are women still called comedians? Very rarely. So they're, they're comedians. It's, yeah. it's like actor. Now you're, yeah. now women are not actresses, they're actors. I'll still call a woman an, a woman an actress, but I've, I've never, even when I was starting, I've never called a woman a comedian as I bring her, it's just like, she's a comic. Yeah. You're either a comic or you're not a comic, as far as I see it. Right. Right. So that's God, the, it smells so skunky in this room. It's yeah, it's very nice. It's very nice. I gotta say. Here we go. In the the clutter before me on this table, there is some very fine reefer somewhere. There's like a bunch of different. Uh, oh. I gotta start smoking this before I go to uh, New York. Oh yeah. I uh, Kisilda and I were in Vietnam once in Hanoi. Yeah. And we were about to go on a cruise in Haolong Bay. I think it's called the famous bay with those crazy islands that stick straight up out of the ocean they're oh wow they're, yeah, yeah i think i've seen those that's in korea team. it's north vietnam north vietnam okay so we were um we were having dinner with this friend of mine and his vietnamese wife and uh the idea was that our friend was going to try to score us some weed uh and then the next day we we're going to go on this cruise right yeah and um it's vietnam is not a good place to score weed it's very hard and the weed you might score is like this horrible stemmy you know stuff with pebbles in it is you know like the worst dirt weed you can imagine yeah and uh so our friend was our friend was going to go to this bar where he knew a guy who might be able to hook us up whatever and so Cassie and I said, okay, we'll meet you at the bar later. We're going to just take a walk in the neighborhood after dinner. So we we're walking through this nice part of Hanoi. And we walked by this restaurant and there was a guy sitting there 
uh, a white guy, Western guy, with a, a really nice batik shirt. What's batik? Uh, batik is is this like print that they use with it's kind of like tie dye but they use wax and so you can get these complex patterns. Oh, You've seen it. You you would definitely recognize it. You probably have some around here somewhere. It, it could be hippie, but it's more sort of ethnic. Like there are different parts of the world where they do it, Indonesia and Africa and stuff. Anyway, so we walk by and as we're walking by, I say, "Hey, nice shirt." And he says, "Oh, thanks, my." My African girlfriend made it for me. I say, oh, my girlfriend's African. She's from Mozambique. Oh, yeah, my girlfriend's from Senegal, whatever. And um, he said, do you guys, do you want to have some wine? We're like, yeah, okay. So we go into the restaurant, sit down with him. So cool. Yeah, we're drinking wine with him. And um, we're talking about stuff. And uh, I said something about marijuana and how I had uh, grown marijuana in Spain. You know, it's completely legal there. And. And he said, oh, where'd you learn to grow? I said, oh, yeah, some people, you know, I had some friends who taught me and I read some books. And he said, really? You ever you ever read anything by um, Robert Clark, a guy named Robert Clark? I said, no, that doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, I read whatever uh, this other thing. And he said, uh, yeah, whatever. And so we start talking. It turns out he is Robert Clark, okay? He was hoping he said yes. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I and, but the way he said a guy named Robert Clark, he really did it well. Um, he wrote. The Encyclopedia of Hashish. He wrote Marijuana Botany. He's like one of the world's best known experts on wow. marijuana. He was in Vietnam consulting to the Vietnamese government on their industrial hemp farming. They grow hemp there? Yeah. They grow hemp everywhere except here. Why do they grow it there if it's hard to get? Well, it's industrial hemp. So it's for fiber oh, right, and, right. and oil and, you know, there are all sorts of things for it's non psychoactive. It's industrial. Um, but, um, Anyway, I said, you know, after all this stuff came out, I was like, dude, it's so amazing. It's so crazy to meet you, you know, because our friend's trying to score some weed at this bar for this thing. And he goes, oh, I've got like a ball of Nepali black hash if you want it. I was just going to flush it down the toilet because in the morning I'm flying to Amsterdam to be a judge in the cannabis cup. I've got plenty. (laughs) He was like, I was just leaving. So we show up at the cruise the next day with a ball of, there's like no hash in the entire country of Vietnam. Wow. Except for this one ball that we stumbled on. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah, it was a pretty, pretty nice. The gods were looking out for us there. You told me that same story on our podcast. No, I didn't. Yeah. But you were telling it so well. Why did you let me go on? You were telling it so well. Oh, no. You shouldn't. Oh, we have to edit that out. Well, what about the people who weren't listening to you on my podcast? (laughs) Those those three people who don't know who Duncan Trussell is. (laughs) Oh, Oh. Somebody wrote to me. Actually, someone like tweeted me or something like, dude, love the podcast, but you got to stop telling the same stories. Oh, oh, shit, man. I don't know which stories I've told. The problem is you tell them to people. Right, like in and your who life, knows who they are. And then you tell them some guy on a podcast, and you don't realize, oh, oh yeah, this really is being recorded. Right, you memorize. like sort of have to have a, a grid or something, you know, like, who yeah, have I told that yeah. story to? But then you get sometimes you won't have told a story on a podcast for like a year and a half, and then you'll tell it, and people are like, I never knew that about you. It's like, right. oh, yeah, because you just started listening. Right. A year ago. Right, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a problem with getting old. I mean, when I was young, I wanted to like be the old guy with lots of stories yeah but then you you know start to become the old guy with lots yeah, of stories I have them already yeah 
<laughs> and what? Well, and, and you end up repeating them. Oh, yeah. You know, and then people are like, oh, that guy, he's, he's the guy who repeats the stories. I had to deal with my first girlfriend where if I repeated a story, she would just, she wouldn't stop me and interrupt me. She would just hold up the amount of fingers. Um, how many times, times, times you told yeah. So well, she just good. hold the four up and I'll just keep talking and I see, I'm like, what? <laughs> four Three up. other times? Are you really wet? She me, I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, I one time my mother started telling a story and I interrupted and said, "Yeah, no, I've heard that story, mom." And my dad got really pissed off. What? And he was like, you know, the least and, and we we sort of had a dispute about it and he was like, "The least you could do is just, you know, listen." And I was like, "Well, I don't think that's really I don't think you're really doing anyone any favors. I mean, you know, cuz then at the end you don't laugh. If it's yeah. like a joke you've heard, you're not going to laugh. You've heard it." So if there's somebody else in the room who hasn't heard, then right, then quiet. fine, yeah, like, then who cares? It. But if it's just the two of you, then it's like, well, why let letting them go through with it is kind of cruel in a way because you don't want to have to push yourself in and say, hey, now I'll be part of this exper- experience. What's well, kind of like, what we're saying about hanging out with comics, yeah, right, where they'll give you honest feedback. So I'd, I'd much rather, I mean, in a podcast, it doesn't matter, I guess. I've heard it. Oh, okay. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, I know. That story where the guy gave you the hatch. Like, yeah, yeah, ideally, you'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that is like that. Right. You don't have to say it anymore. Right. Yeah. 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 That's story number 27C. (laughs) (laughs) Can we move on to 28, please? That reminds me of an old joke in front of, like, sixth grade of um, this guy went to an island. Yeah. Where they were non-monogamous. That has nothing to do with the story. That's just a side topic. <laughs> oh, a South Pacific <laughs> island. Yeah, they just always had a society where it allowed it. But uh, this was such a small island that they eventually knew all of each other's jokes. Mm. And it was the same jokes passed down. So they would just say the number of the joke. Right. Because there was only like 200 jokes. And they would say, hey, 137. And everybody would just crack <laughs> up. Like, ah, yeah. And like 16. Like, ah, and they'd all die. And so this new guy to the island came out, and he was doing that, and um, and he started learning the jokes, and he was like, uh, you know, 85, and just silence. <laughs> and he's like, what? Come on, 85, and just nothing. And he's like, what's the problem? And this guy's like, some people just don't know how to tell a joke. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah, that's good. No, okay, I've got yeah, a theory. <laughs> I've got a theory yeah. that there is a particular part of the brain devoted yeah. to joke memory. Like, really? Yeah, like there's a part of the brain for smell and for, you know, whatever. To joke memory. Joke memory. Because uh, in my brain, it's not very developed. Right. Other people, like, I've, I, you know, we all know friends who remember hundreds of jokes. Yeah. Like any situation, they've got jokes that pertain to whatever the hell you're talking about, right? I know like five jokes. Yeah. And three of them are from, are the first three jokes I ever heard. Really? Which means they're really stupid. They're like yeah. third grade you jokes. It's seven years old. Yeah. yeah. They're jokes about that I didn't even know were about World War II, but they were because they were probably told by the grandfather of some kid I went as in fourth yeah. grade with. What were the jokes? Uh, how did Germany invade Poland? How? They marched in backwards and said they were leaving. Because Polacks. That was like a big thing for yeah, a while. Yeah, Polacks. And the reason Polacks was a big thing is because Germany ran, ran over them. Ran, yeah, they attacked That's the, why? They attacked the Panzers on horseback. I thought that was way from way before that. I don't think so. I think that's a World War II thing. No, hold on. Have you ever heard of the Wise Men of Helm? No. I got to look this up. There's this, There's these like fables about the Wise Men of Helm. And they were all just idiots. They were Yogi Berra type people. 
but the right. whole the whole town. Right. And I thought I remember that's where that's where um what's it called came from? All the Polak jokes. It was like from But them. why would Americans give a shit about Poland? Americans don't know. don't know where Poland is. So just because of World War Two? I that I'm pretty sure of that. Like in Spain there's a village called Epe and all the jokes are about Epe. Yeah. And like, you know, oh the guy in Epe who did the dumb thing. Yeah, it's yeah. like all the same thing. But uh yeah, I'm I'm well, you know, look well, it it's up. Been a but, film. Yeah. Collect the foolishness of talented people. They don't say where it is. I thought that was maybe it was just because of Poland. Eastern European folklore. Mm. So do you think do you think there's like a genetic component involved in remembering jokes? I think there's something to um Southeast Lubeckin. All right, let's um, we're gonna we're gonna pause, yeah, pause for a second while no, you do that and I get another beer. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah. And we're back. And we're back. <laughs> I've always wanted to do like that late night DJ voice. Let's do that. You know, that FM. It's welcome to K Rock. We're back on we're talking to Ari Shafir here. Yeah, why who is that? It's just like classic rock stations. What do they classic do that? Rock. It was sound more meaningful. 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. Yeah, it's like clearly we're not going to yell. That was their decision. That's right. Because we're stoned. Yeah. And you're stoned. And so, nobody likes yelling when you're stoned. <laughs> yeah, that late at night. Oh, those guys must have gotten high when they were DJs, huh? Fuck yeah, man. That's oh, the I never even being thought a about DJ. that. You're like sitting there, you're stoned out of your fucking mind. In Midnight a to 6 a.m. shift or whatever. It's like being a truck driver and you don't have to drive. You have three and a half minutes, or you play Inagata de Vida and get yourself eight minutes, and you <laughs> exactly. go outside, and you take care of it, and then you come back in. I don't even think they had to go outside, right? Because we're talking about the 80s, and you know, it yeah. wasn't a smoke-free environment. On WKRP in Cincinnati, I barely remember that, but there was one guy who was clearly a stoner, but they just didn't okay. show him smoking. Now, this leads to a whole interesting area that we could talk about for hours, much to the chagrin of my listeners. Uh <laughs> The way – you know what Samistat is? Uh-uh. Okay. Samistat was in the Soviet Union where you would write in a way that your readers knew what you were talking about, but the censors didn't get it, so it slipped through. Right. So you tell some parable about whatever, blah, 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 but your readers knew you were talking – you were saying Stalin's an asshole, but the censors never figured that out. So it got, This is why spam people start their spam things with, hi, how are you? Miss you. Right. Just so we yeah. like follow hey, through you the, the filters. Yeah. And then they start right. with Viagra at 10 cents a piece. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's somewhat related. Um, anyway, Batman and Robin. Yeah. Gay couple. Come yeah. on. Right. Yeah. Uh, Gilligan and the Skipper. Gay couple. Right. Uh, I was a bear. Skipper. <laughs> he was Skipper's a bear. Gillen's yeah. a twink. It's chicken. Oh, twink. He's, he's a twink. Small yeah. ones are. That's what yeah. they're called. The, the, the skinny, hairless ones. Yeah. Um, Dan Savage told me about that. That's my friend Justin. Dan Savage taught me how to piss in public, by the way. That was that was an interesting thing. Really? Was that Dan Savage who made that video? Mm. That guy with the big mustache? No. Dan Savage is a sex columnist. He's okay. very, he did the It Gets Better project. And how did he teach how to pee in public? We were coming back from, well, we had been in this event in Brooklyn, and then we went out for pizza, and then we went to, he took me to a bear bar, my, the one and only bear uh, bar I've ever been to. I was with Dan Savage. <laughs> that, that man, yeah, I, that was a very interesting night. But anyway, after the bear bar, we're, we're, we're leaving, and he was like, man, I got to take a piss. I said, well, yeah, but New York, we can't piss in New York on the street. You know, we'll get arrested. Ah, oh, no, don't worry. So we went into this, like, the somewhat dark street, and we're, he went over there to piss, and I was pissing on this tree. 
and I was I thought it was clever. I had my phone out. And I'm looking at my phone, right? But I'm sort of holding it down, normal place where you hold it. Letting your dick freestyle? I was freestyling, yeah. Okay, not even holding it. No. Okay, yeah. yeah. Smart. It's a good Um, move. Yeah. I'm I'm pro this so far. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No no complaints about your technique. See, I thought I was doing well. Yeah. So Dan comes over, and he's like, look, first of all, you don't know how to do this. (laughs) He says, first of all. like a rookie. Yeah. You hold the phone up here, and he pulls the phone up, like, to eye level, because you're trying to... Pull attention away from the dick area, and you've got the phone down there where they're going to see what's going on, right? So the phone's up at eye level, and he says the other thing is you have to sway your hips so the piss doesn't all land in the same spot and make that metallic splashing sound that it's making right now. I'm standing there pissing, and you know America's most famous gay guy is standing next to me telling me what I'm doing wrong. (laughs) And the 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 lack of hip swaying was my my major crime there. Wow, yeah. To move it all about. To move it about so that you're always hitting fresh ground and not getting that splash. There was this video online of this guy. He just goes through how to piss in public in a few different ways. One was a rolled up newspaper. Oh, I saw that. That's yeah. hilarious. It's and he's really like, good. And he's like pretending he's checking his car and he's pissing under the car <laughs> oh, into yeah, the he's gutter. Pissing the side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's on his side. Oh, that's and he really goes, funny. Now if somebody comes up and catches you. <laughs> Uh, don't give in that you pee. Just be like, yeah, I had this model car. It was nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a good, couple years ago. It's a good machine. Yeah. yeah. No, that is so funny. He shows you the quick zip back where he's like one he's hand. He's got the newspaper. He's peeing like into the trash can or yeah. something. and Or he's like so standing. It's like a funnel. It acts like a funnel, the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a woman one as well. A woman did the. How to pee in public? Yeah, oh, really? Yeah, it's a little more complicated. Nice. <laughs> anyway, back to the Gilligan and Skipper and all that sort of stuff. I think there's an American Samistad on TV in the 50s and 60s where they were like, I think, and and maybe you can confirm this, like writers in Hollywood were way ahead of the curve. So there are a lot of gay people. There are a lot of like hit people. people getting high, people doing no. stuff. But it had to go by the suits who are not they can't cool. write about their cocaine use and their not fucking... directly, right? But they can slip some shit in, like uh, Scooby Doo. Tell me that you know right, Shaggy uh, Shaggy's is clearly in a van that's fucking high as hell. Burgers, I need a burger. You know, yeah. they're munchies all the time. Those guys, yeah, all of it because they didn't know to look for that, so they just like ignored it. Wow, yeah, that's cool. Leave it to Beaver. No way. What Beaver? Oh, that guy? Cleaver is the dude's name. Do you ever see that Beaver to Leaver to Beaver? It's like, and and there was even a line in the show. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Leaver to Beaver yeah, yeah, is like yeah. the 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 most straight. So what's Beaver 50s. Cleaver? What's that a parable to? Just sex? Dick. All right. So well, you know what dick? cleaves a beaver? Yeah, a fucking dick does. And Beaver was pussy way before the 40s and 50s. I've I've looked that up. Beaver oh, yeah. was a you know a, a way of yeah. Uh, so they just like got a funny little thing in. And they slipped it through, you know, either because the censors like wouldn't know what they were, what they meant, or to admit you knew what it meant Meant would expose you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. So if there's like some, you know, some code, some, some word that's only known to drug users and homosexuals and you recognize it, well, you're exposing yourself. So you're not going to even admit that you recognize it. So it slips through. So you end up with, you know, what? Uh, uh, June Cleaver saying to Ward in the morning at breakfast, Ward, weren't you a little hard on the beaver last night? Wow. They would <laughs> slip that shit all the time. We're like, wait, what? What did they just... What? Yeah. 
Wow. I saw a New Yorker cartoon. And they didn't know to look for that, so they just kept throwing them in. Right. I would. Yeah. You would. Of course. <laughs> yeah. and, and we'd laugh our asses off when that shit aired. I saw a New Yorker cartoon, right? One of the most uptight publications around. Very high quality, but yeah. pretty uptight. Um, a guy is at the—this was three or four years ago. A guy's at the doctor's office— He's just obviously had a proctology exam, uh, uh, what's it called, a prostate exam, right? The doctor's taking off his latex glove. Yeah. And the patient turns to the doctor and says, does this make me your bitch? Really? Because <laughs> he'd had his finger up his ass. Whoa. Yeah. That's in the New Yorker? Does this make me your How? bitch? Does this make me wow. your bitch? I love How that. How does that get into the New Yorker? Wow. Yeah. Really? They must have known. It must have been a cool editor. But it is a stuffy thing. Does this make me your bitch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how the hell that happens. That's great. Anyway, you, so I see, Helm, you're, yeah. you're getting text. Do you need Le- to go? No, I don't need to go. It's stupid. It's Tripoli. It's fine. But listen, 1789. Wait. Oh, oh, the Polish thing. Yeah. Right. Are, are Polacks considered... Were, I mean, you don't they hear were like those the jokes same, anymore, That's the same right? as Polak jokes. These were all like fables about these dumb idiots. Right. Who would say like... You have to walk backwards through your own footsteps in the snow, so nobody—it's like dumb shit. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a genre. Yeah, and everybody's and it got blonde after a while. In England, it's the Irish who are stupid. Mm-hmm. Probably in Ireland, it's the English. That was one of those Cheers episodes where Larry Bird was on there, and another one of the Celtics—I forget who, maybe Kevin McHale—and mm. he told some. Or no, 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 it was just Bird on there, and Woody Harrelson is from somewhere in Indiana. Was like, um, yeah, Bird says, yeah, I'm from like I don't know Newport. And he goes, yeah, I heard a joke about that. <laughs> and um, he tells this awful joke. Same thing, Pollock joke, Pollock joke about the people from Newport. Right. And, and Bird goes, yeah, I heard it the same, but it was about a different city. <laughs> yeah. And it was wherever Woody is from. Right. Yeah, everyone just takes those, those co- co-ops, those jokes and just. Yeah. Do you know Woody's father was a, a mafia hitman? In real life? Yeah. Really? Which makes Natural Born Killers a really meta, bizarre movie. Wow. Yeah, he must have known about that. Oh, he knew about it, yeah. Really? What happened to him? He, to he was in prison. He was in um, Leavenworth in Kansas, like the maximum security prison in Kansas. Yeah. Interesting. And Do you see that recent movie, the Woody Allen movie with um, – or not Woody, Woody Allen, Woody Harrelson. Uh, seven – Seven Psychopaths? Yeah. It looked cool from the previews, but everybody said it sucked. I liked it. I liked it. I mean, it, it devolved into mayhem at the end, but it was it was very energetic, really and funny and creative. It was kind of like being John really Malkovich cool from, the pre- from the previews. Oh, you should check it out. All right, get stoned and watch it. All yeah, right. it's it's. Shit I mean, at the that. end, it turns into nonsense, but it's it's a, it's like a, a narrative within a narrative within a narrative sort of thing. Really? So you're it's like a David Lynchian like whoa where what reality am I in now? But it's super entertaining and funny and surprising and yeah being john yeah. malkovich I and mean, you that was saw a cool that. Movie. Yeah. yeah it's that kind of yeah spike jones uh, uh, attitude yeah i like movies like that now listen the whole fucking point of me doing yes. this podcast with you was uh-huh. to find out about you and instead well, you we're find just out a little bit by hanging out that's about, how you find out about a person yeah from hanging out <laughs> what do you want to find out <laughs> so where the fuck are you from you, you told me i'm from maryland. maryland oh yeah I, baltimore I, I, were you no, in the wire oh, no no, no. Different part nice, of baltimore. one of the richest counties in america oh, where all the horse County. farms are yeah i drove through there once i couldn't believe there are all these fucking horse farms yeah in there's maryland. a lot around there oh yeah it's big racing state so you are your parents comedians no no very little sense of humor really 
Yeah. My no. dad enjoys the jokes more than my mom does. Like he's got a sense of humor, doesn't know how to make jokes. But, you know, some people you're, seem like one of those. What's that? Sense of humor, but you don't enjoy know laughing, how to make jokes? You're like, I'm not going to try that hard. <laughs> well, not with you. <laughs> well, maybe not with a sad. pro. I mean, I'm not going to, like, you know, slap fight with Muhammad Ali. Right? <laughs> That's a horrible idea. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you guys like get together and talk about how irritating it is when civilians try to be funny with you. Just like, hey, hey, I got a bit for you, man. Oh yeah, it's yeah. Let, when it's yeah. the needy kind of like yeah. trying to be funny, right? Hey, I, yeah, I got this thing that's funny. Like, take it down yeah. a notch. Yeah. Some comics do that too, and they get sort of like ostracized. It's, it becomes like a grating on your ear. Yeah, but you can tell they're doing material on you. I get emails from people, you know, literally saying. You know, I got this idea. All you have to do is write the book, you know, <laughs> but I'll give you the idea for, you know, for 50%. Yeah. Oh, nice. It's really, it's really uh, yeah, very charitable of them. Yeah, 50%. <laughs> All I have to do is write the book. Great. Anyway, so your father, uh, he likes to laugh, but he's yeah. not a, he's, he's not Israeli. A My mom's Southern. Southern Israeli? No, just Southern. Atlanta. Is she a bell? I guess. I don't know. She is was she... non-religious growing up. My dad was religious. Uh, so your mother's ethnically Jewish, but not religious. Yeah. Southern Jews are weird. That's like a really tight yeah. community. I've got a friend who's, he was like the only Jewish family in Nashville. Really? Yeah. His father owned a bookstore. Yeah. I could see that. I could see be one of the very few or the only. Now there's like communi- Jewish communities in almost every big city. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania until I was 15. You think somebody named it that after Vagina? <laughs> no way. You know what? They're Beaver College. Yeah. They changed their name. Because because it, and they had the name for for a long time, yeah. but the internet, yeah. Once the internet came, they sell so much more merchandise though. <laughs> just embrace I know, it. just the t-shirts, yeah. you know, and like the you know what I don't know what the the football team was called, the Big Beavers, the the yeah. Mighty Beavers, beavers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <the> Beavers. <laughs> I had a friend who went to high school in Chappaqua. How New much York. would a pink beaver sell? In terms of hats to show up at games. Say it's for breast cancer research. <laughs> a pink beaver would sell so well. Yeah. <laughs> On a black hat, just a little pink beaver in the middle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then like, you know, like beaver pride. Yeah. You know? Yeah, stuff like that. Beaver patrol. And you could like do all sorts of Have stuff. Have you kissed a beaver today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah what are they idiots why do they turn know, that down embrace the double meaning you didn't mean it like that when you you're named right it. you're right man well this friend of mine went to high school in <laughs> chappaqua new york which was founded by quakers who are as you know pacifists you know and okay. the high school football team was called the fighting quakers really yeah that's funny that's great yeah the <laughs> fighting quakers take the field <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so you grew up in a house where there was not a lot of sense of humor going on? No. Me and my brother were always always like making fun of each other and laughing. Is your brother older or younger? Younger. A couple years younger. There's my oldest sister. Is two years than me. He's not in prison. No? That's good. He's in uh, Switzerland. He just had a a baby with a German girl. Wow. My parents are handling quite well. (laughs) With a German girl? Yeah. Was your dad in... Yeah, he was a survivor. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not that she's a German. It's more that she's not Jewish. Right. The German part. That, that's Goy, a Goya, Goya, Goyim. Goyim is plural. Yeah, a Goy. Is plural. Goy. And is there a, for a woman? A Shitska or Shitska. but my shitska, rabbi told me not it. to say that. I had this oh, rabbi really? that I trust that spoke to me on an intelligent level, Rav Ryan. And he was like, the root word of Shiksa is Shekes, which is what you call a maggot or other kind of disgusting oh, crawly creatures. It's in that. Nasty. And yeah. he's like, that's not, that's a human that God made. 
infidel. Do you really want to right. call it that? Right. <laughs> so he's like, I wouldn't. Yeah. So do you think, so you were raised in a religious tradition. But non-Jew, definitely. Yeah, raised religious. Went to Israel for two years after high school. Oh, really? Did Stud- you do the military thing? No, studied in seminary in the yeshiva. Um, dormed with the guys. Really? Studied from you know 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And, and is that because you wanted to follow that or you were sort of pushed into it? Or? Yeah, I went to religious high school until 11th grade and I switched to non-religious Jewish school. And right. sort of, I started eating non-kosher out. Went to Roy Rogers a few times on like lunch breaks. Roy Rogers. Yeah. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> the bones. You could eat the bones. It was so good. Oh, man. So did you go right to ham or did you sort of work, go through shrimp first? Or yeah, something? I went to other things. Shrimp I didn't like for a while. Right. I do now. Um, but then I got re-religious because my senior year, like for half a semester, they send you to Israel. You relapsed. And I was like, as long as I'm here, let me try to keep kosher. Right. Yeah, I relapsed on a religion. Didn't last. Don't worry. <laughs> And then I said, I was like, yeah, I guess I'll stay here for yeshiva for like what a lot of my old religious friends were doing. Right. Israeli women are so hot. They're so hot. They're a completely different breed than Jewish women here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Jewish women are sort of whiny and weak and pale. So whiny. Their noses are big and (laughs) their hair is Israeli women are just these like goddesses. Yeah. Gorgeous. They're tough. Yeah, they'll fight you before a lot of them have guns on their backs. Dude, they come into the bars. Yeah, with the Uzis strapped to their backs. Yeah, not the Clemson, but they just walk with their Sahal shirts, these green shirts that are bursting apart of the seams. These buttons right down the middle. Yeah, gigantic boobs. Yeah, the buttons will be hanging onto the fabric. Like you ever see Amistad. When the when the mother's being separated from her son <laughs> and they're barely holding oh, that, hands, that that's edgy right there, man. <laughs> and, they're, and they're trying that to hold is on. Not a nice that's thing what their shirts say. were doing. <laughs> oh my god, that just ruined the entire effect for me, man. Of Amistad or of, <laughs> of the Israeli. And meanwhile, chick. I'm looking at your table, and there's Act Two Butter Lovers Natural and Artificial Flavor. It looks like a packet of tobacco, pipe tobacco, and yeah. it's like it's just popcorn. instant popcorn. For when it's four in the morning, I'm a you're snacker, man. Pink that only stays open till two. Wow! So I gotta wow. like be prepared sometimes. The only time I've ever been to Israel yeah. was for a worldwide conference of ecstasy researchers. Did you see that movie with them with the when they were um, holy rollers? No, ecstasy importers, Hasidic Jews from Israel. They were oh, import- they were importing it into New York. Yeah. No, I heard it, but that's based on a true story, yeah. yeah. Holy Rollers. Oh, no, no. No, this was like scientific, oh, you know, really? the people who were doing all the research on ecstasy were all Is gathered. Is it legal there? Um, well, I don't know whether it was legal, but it, the interesting thing was the conference was sponsored by the Israeli military. Really? Yeah, and uh, so I was invited because I was friends with one of the people who organized it, Rick Doblin, who's the head of MAPS, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Whoa. Check out MAPS.org, M-A-P-S.org. Their like, sort of reason to exist is that they want to bring illegal substances, particularly hallucinogens, back into a clinical setting so that... So you can study them. So they can be studied and they can be used in therapy. Because You've seen with the studies on mushrooms they've had so far. Oh, yeah. You isolate the psilocybin, how, how great it can do for depression and, and not even give you any of the hallucinatory effects. Well, or the hallucinatory effects can be very useful. Yeah. And, you know, I interviewed Charles Grobe for this podcast. Um, that went up, I don't know, a month ago or something. He's at UCLA. And he uses psilocybin in psychotherapy with people who have terminal cancer to help really? them overcome their you know, anxiety around dying. 
you know, what could be more important than that? And also with kids. He uses it with kids. Wow. Yeah, and ketamine, and Charles Grobe, G-R-O-B. Wow. Yeah, cool. it's in the archives if anyone – he's a very interesting cat. And he actually – his entire people. career started because he worked as a volunteer in Stanley Krippner's Dream Lab at Maimonides Medical Center in, in Brooklyn in the 70s. And Stanley Krippner's my professor who I picked up in San Francisco? Francisco and brought down for Rogan's podcast last week. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, so listen, you know, if anyone wants to hear that, I mean, he's a fascinating dude, and he's friends with Dennis McKenna, the ethnobotanist who studied all the, you know, ayahuasca and all the yeah. DMT, all the stuff. Um, anyway, what what were we talking about? I, I got lost. There's let's back, let's try to back up. Or Brian ecstasy. Oh, Rick Doblin and Maps, <laughs> and they're trying to bring this. Yeah, so Rick invited me to this conference. I think it was in like '98. What city was it in? It was. Let me guess. Let me guess. I'm going to guess few. Obviously, the big ones are Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, but I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go either. And you're looking at Haifa. me. He's, he's looking at me like a like a shyster uh, <laughs> ast- astrologist. Yeah, either you know, Haifa. It's like looking how I respond that'll give him clues. Or, no, no, no. I just want to know if I'm right or not. I'm thinking about it. I'm yeah. staring through you. <laughs> Haifa or a lot. That's what I'm going to guess. That's what you're guessing. Yeah. Now, see, you were wrong before you even Tel guessed Aviv. because it's not in a city. Oh. It was at the Dead Sea Hyatt. Nice. Yeah, at the south tip That's of the Dead Sea. That's where Elada is. Oh, is it? Elada is oh. the Dead Sea city. Oh, then maybe it was. Well, it wasn't in a city, though. It was just this hotel in the middle of nowhere. Oh, really? I remember we stopped um, at the... We, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name. The famous place where the Israelis jumped off the... You know, the the, the where they were surrounded by Romans and they all jumped oh, off yeah, the cliff. Masada. Masada yeah, right. that's down there. Yeah, so we passed that. We stopped there and viewed that. We were in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. We sort of went around different places, but the conference was at the Dead Sea Hyatt. And, of course, I made the big mistake of uh, shaving upon arrival and then going to a, for a swim in the Dead Sea, which oh, is no. not the way <laughs> so you want to do that. Yeah, <laughs> it was kind of painful. <laughs> But anyway, I don't I don't know why the hell I was talking about. Oh, my my one and only trip to Israel. Yeah, right. yeah, and I was very impressed with the women. Wow, oh, God, I couldn't yeah. believe it. And I'm not I'm not one of these guys who's into women in uniform or women with guns, you know, or whatever. I'm not like I'm, I'm not into the masochistic thing or whatever. But they're just, they're just beautiful women. Yeah, yeah. One of my biggest regrets in life, and not Ravine, this uh, Israeli girl that was in high school with me. She went back to Israel. She was only there for high school in America. And we were on our couch once, senior year, talking. And it was like late at night, and I didn't know I was still a virgin. Oh, and you had a shot. I knew I later. Yeah. Because it felt like I did. You know, you get the tingly feeling. Yeah. Of like, this seems like it's going to happen, but you're still a little worried. <laughs> That's called premature ejaculation. <laughs> tingly feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she was so fucking hot. I yeah. saw her later when I was in yeshiva, and I was like, everyone was jealous of me for knowing her. She was a waitress yeah. up on Yehuda Street in Jerusalem. But the moment had passed. Huh? Way past. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. She had massive, perfect boobs, and like, and as like a, as like an eighteen-year-old. Fuck. Yeah. I'll never. All right. I'll never get over it. The rest of your life, you'll, you'll, yep. un, that'll be your rosebud. That, that's that's what I realized. There's just regrets you're going to have to live with. <laughs> Can't solve them at all. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I went through a period where I in college where I was a feminist. Yeah. I mean, I was really 
I was. I Everyone was, does it in college. I know. <laughs> you think you want to change the world? <laughs> it was terrible. I was too. I mean, no. I mean, I'm still a I feminist. Will never be like my parents are. <laughs> and I will put all my value on that. <laughs> I mean, I, I I'm still a feminist in the sense that you know I. You know, I'm completely committed to the idea that women yeah, are equal. They're an equalist. And, you know, but uh, in college, I felt guilty yeah. for being a man. I felt guilty for being white. I felt guilty yeah. for being American. You know, it's like everything about me was wrong. You yeah. know, and um, yeah, and that <laughs> made every white person a complex in college. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that that made um, my relationships with women kind of complicated. And I and then you know a couple Why? of years well because. You know, I would not make the first move. Yeah. I would not assume that this was cool. Because you always – I was the same way. I assumed this was not cool. Right. Yeah, because you don't want to be the guy who's like, oh, I can't believe he did that. You know, When like, you were whoa. in college, was this going around where you had to ask a girl if I can kiss you? It was a little before then. I was in college before from 80 then. to 84. Okay. And, but – and like Andrea Dworkin, I don't know if you know, she wrote Man Hating or Woman Hating or something. She was the one who sort of said, like, all men are rapists, you oh, know, yeah. at heart. And we just might be right. Don't I have to read the whole book, but uh, aren't we all? Are we all just fighting it, knowing no, we can take it, but no. we don't want to take it? But you'll take money. No, I, I wouldn't take money from you. If there was money on the table, I wouldn't No, not take from it. someone you know, but from some stranger. With a corporation, that's different now. All right, I'm losing it. I'm losing yeah, no, I mean the thing about the money, I agree with you. If it's a if it's a corporation or a government or something, yeah. and they'll never miss it, and who cares? Then yeah. But some, but it's like sex a is a, is a person. Know. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know that's that's, and also I've I mean I even though I'm no longer that guilt ridden you know white boy, um, uh, I still would never want to have sex with someone who didn't want to have sex with me. No, that but you'd be- want to have sex with. Would it, that girl sure randomly but but it's contingent upon her yeah. wanting to have sex with me so but if you could if you could um um uh, mind control hypnotize them into wanting mm, to do it yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that's not rape man let me ask you a question this is gonna be horrible <laughs> this is gonna let's just call, chalk it up to edginess but my friend <laughs> might have to cut this out Yvonne. absolutely I'm warning if, if you, you need to my friend brought this up if you can get okay it's going to be about rape, so I'll just tell you that now. But my that friend said that so edgy. what rape does, it's two things. It's this power move. Right. Uh, and it's also like what it does to the woman, but it's also um, a sexual thing. Yeah. So what if you could take the sexual part out of it and not get any pleasure out of rape? And if they just made a rape ray where it was a gun that would shoot into someone, boy or girl, the feeling of having been raped, does that feel that violation of – we're talking about enemies now. It right. was a powerful weapon. I mean, Would you powerful. use that? It's nuclear. Uh, there are almost no people I could imagine using that on. No. No, but I'd it's go the other harsh. way. I'd go the other way. What was the other way? If I could just have the sexual pleasure without any of the shame or violation. Oh, yeah. And, you know. Like if you know, if we lived on one of those South Pacific islands where everybody's just like, yeah, why not? Turnover. It's my thing. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Great. Sure. Back to the game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I, there's, there have been times in my life where I probably would have. I, I was pretty angry for probably during the same years when I, when I felt so guilty. You know? For wanting it, you feel like well, this is wrong, right? What I want you to do is wrong. You know what? I, in this book I'm working on now, Civilized to Death, one of the things I want to talk about is the, I think, very much underappreciated importance of uh, teenage male sexual frustration. Yeah. 
I think it's a huge thing. And we're, we can joke about it, and it's funny, and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, you become, as a boy, and, and, and I don't mean to be sexist in this, you know, and, and people who listen to me or read my stuff know that I, I try to be very even careful about, you know, women's sexual desire being very important and, and valid and not dirty or shameful in any way. But I do think that in the teenage years, I think boys become sexual beings before girls do. Seems like it. Yeah. That's why nobody keeps getting laid, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, they become sexual beings in terms of identity and seeing themselves. And I'm sure they, they're feeling pleasure and they're feeling things. But they, they're not desperate to get laid when they're 16 years old. Who? Girls. Girls. Most girls. We had, I remember in sleepaway camp, Tops was 16. We were like jumping off a bunk bed onto another bed and we were called humping and we we're just trying to like lead with our dicks <laughs> just like this is how you hump a chick and we're like we didn't even know what that meant or anything <laughs> yeah but like we knew you about it enough crazed to it. fucking primates well i read this article by rachel simmons who talks about girls development a lot yeah. and she said they're in this weird adolescent stage of wanting to please a man right but at the same time being told that family is the way to get that is like that's the, the sought after thing in your life yeah so you can't give it up but you also are made to want to give it up at the same time right and that's when they all turn on each other and call each other sluts ah, because like you're right. doing that thing that i want to do for attention also but, right but I, i'm not allowed to right so it's a way of like pulling them back that's why she said those other girls in steubenville didn't do anything because oh. they were like well she must be bringing it was, it was attacking her their own sense of or right or wrong, that she could get this drunk and like they just call her a slut and write her off, right. and then they don't have to imagine it. Yeah, it's like when we hear somebody's got a, term, a, a terrible disease or something, we immediately look for the thing they, they do. do that brought it on them that we don't do. I talked to this woman whose mom died of of SIDS. Yeah. Um, Wait, whose mom died? Who's, of I'm SIDS? sorry, whose <laughs> daughter? Whose daughter? She was a mother. Yeah. Sorry, that's not funny, but <laughs> yes, it, it made me laugh. Whose mom died of SIDS? Sudden mother death. No, she's weird. She was a 70. She loved sleeping in cribs. And then suddenly, oh, infant. Fuck. Invalid. How about sudden invalid death syndrome? Um, <laughs> oh, you're edgy. <laughs> you're getting edgy again. It's not, that's why I don't like it. It's not edgy, it's just fun. Um, <laughs> Uh, but her daughter died of SIDS, and uh, I asked her how many people asked her if the baby was right side up or down, whichever the right side is. Right. She goes, so many mothers. Right. Because they all couldn't live with the idea that this could be random. Right. So their minds just went to like, you must right. have done something wrong. I have to be exactly. able to ju- like put this in my mind somewhere. Yeah. That That's not going to be me because yeah. I don't do that, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah, you get a disease. Like, what did you do wrong? Yeah. Oh, you ate a lot of bacon. I remember you had that bacon cheeseburger. It's like, you ate bacon, too. Yeah, what are you talking about? but not like about? you, man. <laughs> <laughs> or in your case, you didn't eat bacon. You didn't eat bacon for the first 18 years of your life, man. I don't need bacon. You, need, you gotta have bacon. It's part of the paleo diet. I would steal mom. My mom bought bacon bits for salads, like those fake and fake bacon. Oh, things. fake bacon! And I would just steal the whole jar. I know it was five dollars, <laughs> but I just pound the whole jar. <laughs> really, a bacon? Oh yeah, that's fine. And did you think like God was was? No, watching I knew it was you? kosher. I knew it was oh, okay. Oh, I just, I just thought my mom was watching kosher. me. I can't just steal a five dollar jar of snacks. Yeah, it was just too much. <laughs> I went. Yeah, it was like fake bacon. I don't know how they made it. When I was a little kid, I was like eight or nine, and we used to go to this bar that was on the road near our house and uh, buy as many beer nuts as they would sell us. Beer nuts. Beer nuts. And we were amazed the guy would sell them to us. Because you thought they were beer? We thought we'd get drunk. And we ate them, and we'd get all drunk and like stumble around. Just like, felt drunk. Oh, all these beer nuts. <laughs> <laughs> like, <"Whoa." laughs> and, and, 
Yeah, those were the days. We're the bear nuts. Those were the same. That was the same time when I. Um, yeah, same time. I was like eight, and I, I. It's it's interesting. I can remember how old I was and in, in different parts of my life because my family moved a lot. Yeah. So by remembering where things happen, I know exactly how old I was. Oh, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, it was that house. I was eight. Oh, you it, that house, oh, I was wow. twelve. That's that cool. house, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, we were hanging out. I hung out with these kids who were a little older than me. So I was eight. They must have been 11, 12, right? Which to me was like teenagers, you know? Uh-huh. And they were talking about rubbers and rubbers. how they were going to get a rubber and they needed a rubber or whatever. And, and I was I like, don't even use the term rubbers anymore. <laughs> what do they call them now? Condoms. Oh, condoms. Do you still call them rubbers? Like casually when you talk to people. I don't know. I don't really mention, I don't know what I call them. Condoms, rubbers. Prophylactics. Nobody says that except doctors. <laughs> oh yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, in Spanish, condones. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so these rubbers, they they like, oh yeah, rubber. And I said, yeah, I got to get some rubbers too. And they were like, ah, you don't know what you don't even know what rubbers are. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. And I had this. I knew it had something to do with stopping babies. Right. So they pushed me, and I said, all right, yeah, it's it's a piece of rubber. A woman puts over her vagina. So when the baby starts to get born, it bounces back in. Whoa. <laughs> That's what you thought it was. It made sense to me. <laughs> it does make sense. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to push like, me. Okay. No, I no thought theory. of like, why would I want a baby to bounce back in? I just figured it stopped the baby from being born. I knew that part of it. Yeah. You know, but the other part, I, I just had to <laughs> like sort of fill in the gaps. It's a trampoline. Well, it's a pussy trampoline. trampoline. Let me go back in for a little bit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. My friend used to work at the patent office. Uh-huh. His job was to say whether things were allowed to be patentable or not. Oh, that's a good job. Yeah. Interesting. He had a running joke that everybody, they all had. It's like, add a clock to anything. A clock or wheels, and you can make a patent on it. Really? Because like a microwave, and there's like a microwave clock is another patent. Oh, I was thinking microwave on wheels. Oh, yeah. You could do that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he saw this patent, and none of these, they, they have no um correlation with how marketable they are right it's just has this been infringed upon before mm-hmm. this guy made a method of um birthing through use of centrifugal force <laughs> <laughs> oh no they would have i can see the, wo- the woman spinning the around. center is her head oh, so that's staying sort of near the same place <laughs> and she's got the stirrups she's got the stirrups up and there's a net uh, at her feet, a net, a net, to so catch it would the baby. force the baby out safely in this net, <laughs> and that's the best effective way. It's to like have a child. It's like at the carnival. You get out to the carnival to have. Yeah, to you get, get stuck throw. on the wall. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Or the tilt a whirl. Uh, yeah. Wow, that yeah. is sick, man. That's a patent. That and that passed yeah, approved. the thing. Approved. That's approved. Like, well, this hasn't been done before. Stamped, approved. Do right. what you want with it. Right. No one else can do and this. Your gynecologist has like a rubber nose, and yeah, yeah. I bet that guy went door to door and was like, "I think you should start suggesting this for your patients." Yeah, and they're like, "We're never going to do that." And he's like, "What? Are you, why are you all blackballing me? <laughs> Just let us invent and get out." I'm so far ahead of my time. Yeah. <laughs> if he had a wife, he definitely made her do that. I guarantee you, that guy I, had a I wife. I want to meet the kids. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine? <laughs> they have these like checks in their head. These, like, oh no, fence lines. Oh, I had a friend in college who's a professor who had gone to grad school with a woman who was born. Yeah. Let me see if I remember this correctly. To at one of those breeding those Nazi breeding camps. Where what? Yeah, you know where they got like the Aryan men and, and the Aryan women to breed the babies. super perfect super race. Wow! And she was one of them, and he met her. At and she's Yale. blonde and blue. 
I guess so. I mean, it's 20 years since I've heard yeah. this story, but he did his PhD at Yale, and um, she, he met her at Yale. Wow. And and it was like, he was gay, and I think she was his last girlfriend. Nice. I think that was the story. So the rule is that Aryan babies can't tell when dudes are gay. <laughs> the gaydar. Yeah. The gaydar gay got bred right out of them. They look perfect, but their gaydar is some of the worst exactly. in the world. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. shit. All right. Have I asked you any goddamn questions at all? I mean, did I I feel, you're from Maryland. That's all I know. Oh, yeah. From so, Maryland. So, what's it, so how did you become a comedian? I didn't man? want to get a job. It was laziness or, or fear. Really, it was fear. No, most people would. Had, most people would say going on stage in front of a bunch of strangers and trying to make them laugh is the most yeah. terrifying thing in the world. So this yeah. is like you know, why did you decide to become a you know an expert in sharks? Well, I was afraid of everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, really, what the reason why comedians go on stage is validation. They want validation of the, what of a crowd of people all telling them they're funny. They're funny. Yeah, and so you're worth something. Right. A lot of them have low low self esteems. Self-esteem. Yeah. Low self-esteem, self yeah. which, which my wife calls self-steam. Self-steam? Nice. Yeah. Oh, she has low self-esteem. Yeah. She she said we're watching The Big Lebowski. Yeah. No, it wasn't The Big Lebowski. It was the other Coen Brothers thing. Uh, Raising Arizona. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh -huh. And there's a scene where they come in. Yeah, the, 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 the hillbilly music. Uh -huh. um, they come into a clan meeting. Yeah. We're in the cinema, and she leans over to me and says, is that the Couscous Clan? <laughs> I love foreigners. <laughs> I know. I got a million of them. My, my last two girlfriends, both or wives or whatever, both spoke English very well, but made those sorts of mistakes. Like it's the Couscous Clan. The, the way you say it makes me think they're cute. Yeah. Or like she said the other. Oh, I woke yesterday. I woke up. I had a pimp on my nose. A pimp. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Anyway, I, I interrupted you. Validation, low oh, yeah. self-esteem. So you go for validation. You, you, you go for these people. But the weird thing is that that is the opposite of what you're met with for the first three to five years. Because you're met with rejection. Rejection. And, and, Worse yeah. than when you never got honest. When you just made your friends laugh, it was okay. Right. Now you're met, being met with you're not funny. Right. What you thought about yourself was you're wrong. You're not as funny as you think you are. Yeah. To but be that, up there on stage. But that low self-esteem goes with this weird, like, almost religious-like belief An that you have value. Yeah. That you do have, like you are funny, right? And they'll all see it, right? And the the fucking losers have that same thoughts too. The shitty that's comics have the same scary. thoughts. Scary. So then you don't know, right? Yeah, that's what's scary. Yeah, unless you get someone like Joe Rogan who says you're fucking funny, and I'm gonna take you with me. Yeah, and that helps. That validates. Yeah, your, things like that yeah, definitely help. Yeah, definitely. oh yeah, I came back off the road with him in the beginning. He would take me on the road, so I was playing shitty, shitty. A couple of book shows around town, but mostly shitty open mics or late, late at the comedy store um, when it's like, you know, 10 spread out people in the room. Just battle comedy. <laughs> all drunk. Almost all drunk. Absolutely. Yeah. Too lazy to leave. Right. They're, they're Now they're like, they're hey, sick of you. They Next CD, too lazy to too leave. Too lazy to leave. Just do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that that's the trial by fire. So right? yeah, and so I remember going on the road with Rogan, doing these awesome like three hundred seaters that were full. Yeah, these like Cap City Comedy Club, some of the best rooms in the country, and feeling like a million bucks, and then coming home, always making sure to go up on Sunday night. So I go back to reality of those ten people. Sunday night's the 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 worst night. It was the, well, that was when the employees got to go up on stage. Uh, so I knew I could get on every time there, yeah. uh, every Sunday night. But it was three minutes, something you could stretch to five. Right. Um, 
but it was just like reality check. Like this is not going to go well. Just to keep you humble. Yeah, to realize like don't fucking rest on any laurels. You don't have right. any. You're terrible. That was a good crowd. Right. You know. Were you terrible? Do you ever like listen yeah. to tapes from the early days and, um, and cringe? I've seen. I've seen. I found an old video somehow. Um. Of my first few years. How long have you been doing comedy? Fourteen years in May. Fourteen years professionally yeah. on stage. Professionally, yes, More full time on stage. Yeah, <laughs> whether yeah. you got paid or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. full time because we didn't get paid for a long time. But yeah, for, yeah. where, where the, all your thoughts are of comedy, and you're living on that now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. That's yeah, making a living at comedy. Yeah. That's, that's really it's serious. never about making a living in the beginning. Right. It's just about just getting get good stage. and getting on stage. Yeah. Just learning how to make a joke. Right. And that was all the joy. You weren't even expecting to get paid. So who? Yeah, I was talking to Rogan the other day. It was, it was after the podcast, unfortunately. He, we, yeah. we were just hanging out, shooting the shit. And he told me about when he was a kid, I don't know, 10 years old or something. And his parents took him to see, oh, fuck, now I'm forgetting, uh, on Sunset Street. Eddie Murphy, I think it was. Oh, no, it was, it was Richard Pryor. No, Richard Pryor. You're right. Yeah. Richard Pryor on the Sunset Strip. And he was like, it just completely changed his life. He, yeah. he was, because he had thought, I and mean, you've heard him talk about this, I'm sure, like the... Like he had seen funny movies where people were doing funny things, but nothing like this. But he'd never seen anyone making people fall out of their chairs laughing just from talking. Yeah, he wasn't slipping and falling or hitting his head on the, you know. The, yeah, there wasn't any physical comedy at all, just like ideas. Yeah, dude, in that way, it's beautiful. Yeah, when you think it's, it's all the same, just a mic, a stool. It's a just stand. a dude. Yeah, and a brain. There. It's just a brain and language. No costume changes. Yeah. And, you know, for me, from where I'm coming from in terms of, you know, my, my, my work, my studies and all that, it's primitive. Yeah. You know, there's nothing more immediate and primitive than someone who can stay. Because think about it, all our ancestors spent every fucking night sitting around a fire. Right. Right. With the same people. So if you could crack people up. Yeah, you were super valued then. You were getting laid left right. and right. You were the dude. I don't care if you know so and so is a better hunter. So and so is like a badass warrior. Storytellers went well too. There. Well, it's the same thing, yeah. right? I mean, you know, sex at dawn. One of the things I, one of the feed, major points of feedback I get from people is like, yeah, I learn, but I laugh when I read that. I, I laugh. You crack me up. You got to entertain people. Got to entertain. Otherwise, you lose their attention. You got to give them a reason to pay attention to what yeah. you're saying. You know? Yeah, that's the best art to me. Yeah, when you see an old Hitchcock movie and you're like, oh, this is suspenseful. It's whatever, but he's making a commentary on male female relations. Right. You know, and, and ownership. You don't even notice yeah. what you're learning. It's like I'll just give you the entertainment. Yeah. You know, and music does the same stuff, and right. movies do the same stuff all the time, and right. books do too. It's yeah. like Catcher in the Rye. I read that and cracked up in fourth grade. Right. And then I read it in college. I was like, oh. This is really dark. Yeah. This is so defeatist. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's but we were. What were we talking about there? We were making a point about something. Uh, comedy, Rogan. Oh, the primitiveness. The, oh, yeah, the, the of what very that is. primal nature of being the dude who can stand up and make people have fun. Yeah, and that is, you know, it's like technology. Everybody says. Uh, you know, the earliest human technology is the spearhead of, you know, blah, 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 or this carving or whatever. I think the earliest human technology is the hammock. That's the first <laughs> thing. Maybe. Because chimps and bonobos both sleep in hammocks. They both really? they weave together branches of trees and they sleep in them. Wow. 
So even before there were humans, there were soft. There were areas. there were woven slings above, you know, up in the trees that pe- that animals, our ancestors, were sleeping in. But the thing is, they, you know, that the, there's no fossils of that. There's it's not made right. of stone. So the thing is, we think the earliest thing was the stone, right? Or they say the earliest, no, uh, you know, human fossil. art is the cave paintings of forty thousand years ago. Well, people were weaving things and drawing things and making things. But they made them out of plants or whatever, and it's, it disintegrates. The earliest fight that's still around, I guess. Right. Yeah. So this idea that, like, the most valued, you know, the hunters, the, the you know, Napoleon Shagnon wrote of this book about how, the, you know, these warriors would have more kids than others. I don't think so. I think the funny, smart dudes got laid much more than anybody else. Maybe. I'd like to believe that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Back in the day. Not necessarily now, Ari. Yeah. But you're right. Every night. Every Are you, night. Is it the Ari theater. or Ari? Ari. Ari, yeah. I didn't know whether to Americanize it or not. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the American way, airy. Yeah. Sometimes I'll call a woman Anna and she'll say, it's Anna. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. Fine. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Aaron, Aaron. All right. So anything you need to plug? before we, We've talked like for nine hours, I think. <laughs> uh, I have a special out now. It's <laughs> not that CD. It's not Revenge for the Holocaust. Wait, I saw your special. It's fantastic. Uh, passive oh, thanks, aggressive. Man. Yeah. That's oh, fantastic. Dude, that, that's Thanks. what I mentioned to Rogan that made him beam like a, a proud oh, yeah. papa. Yeah, I, I mentioned I that I, I, I loved it. Thanks, man. I loved it. I, I'm pretty happy with how it came out. I was, and I, and I say this to you quite honestly, from the beginning to the end, I was completely absorbed. Cool. You were just like your rhythm, the timing, the pacing, everything. It just like held me, held. I was laughing my Thanks, ass man. off. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I'm happy with that. That, that was, was all really in good. a year. I was just took a year of my life to write a, a fucking hour and to do all about the stuff I had in my mind and right. things like that. And, right. And that's what came out. That yeah, was, I was really yeah, happy with no, it. No, really solid material. Thanks, Excellent. Dude. Excellent. I'm glad you got it and liked it. Yeah. Do you ever hear the. Um, the what's it called the memorial or the the the, the talk that Louis C.K. gave at at um, just for laughs no at uh, George Carlin's uh huh we did a year an hour where where he yeah. had like built up material over years and years yeah. and then he heard this interview with George Carlin where he said he threw everything away at the end of the year and started over yeah I had a big talk with Louis that sort of helped me a lot. That you really sort of changed my uh, my thoughts on it. Tell too. me about that. I, I, you know, like many people, I'm a huge fan of Louis C.K. Yeah. In fact, Civilized to Death, the first thing you see is going to be a quote from Louis C.K. Oh, really? Yeah, that's cool. These days, everything's amazing and nobody's happy. Like whether they're talking about planes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We were in Montreal, uh, and I was. We went to see Broken Lizard. I don't know if you know them. They they did Super Troopers. That movie, Super Troopers, it's a hilarious movie. But like just a. It's a, it's a band or no they're just a, a sketch group i guess oh okay um and they did a beer fest super troopers club dread they did a few movies but just them together but that first one was great but um we went to just watch them live at montreal and they're performing me and louis were doing this other show i had done it all week and he was just getting added to the nasty show just to run a set for something else did you know him before this i met him a few times at the store before he'd really blown up like that i'm um, always pretty cool one of the normal guys right Fame does something weird to people, both people who like look up to the person and to the person themselves. Where like that's a that's an important point to make. Yeah, yeah. So before yeah. he could hang out with fine, then later you hang out, you see eyes on you, right? You know, and you're like, oh, I gotta get out. I mean, I don't know, and I'm I'm putting a lot on on him too. Yeah. What do you mean eyes? Eyes on you? Like, like everyone's looking people? at you when you're a celebrity. Oh no, no, not oh, like oh, they're gonna find something out you're doing, but right, like, you're like under some glass. Yeah. yeah. So I don't really. He doesn't really hang out as much anymore. Probably because of that, but 
um we were i was like all right i gotta go back i was going on first and he's like yeah i'll go with you and um this is i think his third year that he was doing it and i was like so you know how like kind of crazy that is that you're doing this hour a year right like you're aware of that that's kind of nuts to be able to do that and he was like yeah i mean i guess not normally he's like well how do you well what's what's your story like how do you do it he just broke it down he was like you throw out everything you've done right immediately just throw it out and he goes if you couldn't do any of your material like every one of your jokes you were no longer allowed to do would you stop being a comedian right and it's like you wouldn't i don't think so you would just have to write new jokes. Right. And so you just rely on the fact that you have these jokes. They're like crutches after a while. They sort of right. own you after a while. Right. So he's like, throw those out immediately. And he goes, uh, I did it. I started in like workout sets at like pop-in clubs like the Comedy Store or the Comedy Cellar in New York. Yeah, the, I'm going there. I'm going to oh, do really? their podcast Great place next to week. Do a, do a, uh, to watch a show. Yeah. One of the coolest clubs in the country. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to meet the owner. I don't remember his name, but he's going to interview me on their podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, they went. I don't know why they went to interview. No, I'm right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And in fact, I I asked them like, could you get a book in uh, a sex at dawn into Louis's hands? And they're yeah. like, yeah, I see him all the time. Yeah, you send me a book, I'll give it to him. That's so, cool. Because Louis's always talking about sex, and he yeah. ta- even talks about chimps and our primate nature and all this shit. I'm like, dude, read Sex at Dawn. It you, it'll be. You'll definitely f- – it'll stimulate material for yeah, you. Yeah, 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 I bet. Anyway, sorry. I interrupted your story. So so he's like, throw so out your shit and start over. Start really bad with yeah. your shitty stuff at a room where no one's paying to see you at all. You're just popping in. Right. Um, that's an ability I don't have. And in his case, it's, he'd have to pop in, like, not even with his own name on the marquee or anything. Yeah, sometimes they just put, like, fake names on. Right. Like, he'll really just come in and be like, can I go on in a couple? Right. Um, and they make room for you in the lineup, so, like, bigger celebrities. Sure. If they're nice, they call in and say, put a fake name up. Just so we save room for them. If they're not uh, nice, then they right. just come in and delay everybody. Fuck but, everybody. Yeah, it's just like it's nice once, <laughs> but then it's like, fuck, come on, man. I was at a party. I want to stay there. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, he said just drop all that. He work out at small clubs. Then when you get, you get like, he said he's like twenty five minutes, thirty minutes. Then he would go to like improvs and stuff. And this is what he would do every time he felt like he had a closer, a joke that was just naturally it sort of moves to the end yeah. you do stuff in different orders but like you always because it's get big laughs right right at the end of it it just naturally becomes closers right. he goes he takes that and he would open with that joke so then he would have this one closer start with it and he start right off the gates like boom boom like really crushing everybody right and then he'd finish that let's say eight minutes in and in the beginning then that was his only good joke and then he'd be like so what else <laughs> <laughs> no. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you set the tone for yourself. This is yeah. going to be really great. Yeah. And so he said it does two things. It lets your mind fucking find a joke right now because it's under On distress. Stage? It's it's under distress. Like you have to. You know you need one. You feel a lack so, of a so, joke. So he goes on without like more than eight minutes of material right and he'll he'll try to work out a joke like he'll, he'll be funny first time out of the gate but like sometimes yeah. like not that funny right when you just have a thought of like how come this isn't this a weird situation you have right. to write nine minutes around a sentence right you know um so he'll make himself bomb and it says he it, it makes his mind to try to come up with some good stuff that he'll use oh, next time right. and then there's another thing too right. it's like runners who want to run with someone who's really fast yeah because it pushes them. it makes them go fa- yeah yeah absolutely you put yourself in a you really set the line for yourself position, and the crowd right and it does another thing where you can't that thing i said about girls how they'll some sometimes bigger comics will say that was good and they'll sort of average out in their minds if right. you end with a closer if you go stinker 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 for 20 minutes and you have a killer five at the end 
You leave going like, that's yeah, pretty good. It's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Leave with the fucking vacancy and you'd let you sleep on it all night long ah. on that horrible feeling. That's interesting. So he's actually using the audience to help him. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a That's motivate. what your joke was worth. Right. Nothing that you got. <laughs> they left with a tepid applause because you left them with nothing. Yeah. But, you know, that's uh, fame must be interesting in that respect mm-hmm. as well because it puts someone like him in a position of the women you were talking about where they're getting – people are going to laugh harder because he's famous. Yeah. And that's like, wow, well, Louis C.K.'s store. here. Yeah. Holy shit. Ha, ha, ha. I'm laughing already just because, wow, yeah, he's famous. Yeah. 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 But they can tell the difference, I'm sure. You can tell the difference between when you kill in the beginning. Because right. I've had bad sets where I've had – they were like terrible crowd. I'm like, no, I heard points. There were spikes a couple times where right. were, they were capable of big laughs. Right. I just couldn't match that. So if he does that first five minutes, it's just destruction. Right. He'll know the rest of it is just going okay. Right. They don't. Right. They won't give him quite the same as right. a famous guy with the funny yeah, line. It's like on the soundboard. We already see where yeah. the, the peak is. Yeah. You now know? you're way out of the red. <laughs> Still got <laughs> yeah. there, but it's way out of the red. <laughs> yeah. This one doesn't go to eleven. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the comedy store for me. If I go to do shows on the road, I have too many of my fans there. Uh, I don't right. know what Rogan and Louis C.K. do where it's all their fans. Right. I don't know how they get the honest response. How you keep the, the edge. So yeah. I go to the store yeah. where most of the crowd has no idea that I'm going to come yeah. or knows who I am. A few people might now. Right. Known, but the rest of them don't know me and don't care one way or the other about me. Right. And they'll give them an honest response. I can like figure out if this is not working, it's not good. Right. And if it is working, then it's good. Do you ever have something that you're like, it's not working, but fuck it, it's good. I yeah. know it's good. Yeah. You stick with them. You believe in them. And the f- them being the, the jokes, the, the material. Bits, yeah. yeah. I feel them as people sometimes. Right. And I have a... I have a uh, you have a relationship? A sort of relationship with them and, and an obligation to them. If I, have a, if I have a bit that... If I, if I do a bit three times without any decent response, chances are that's dead. And does it... I just got hurt you, too many times. Do you times. try it in on different... I mean, obviously every crowd must have a personality. Yeah, absolutely. Depending how late it is, Sometimes what kind of town you're crowds. in. Yeah, it's night to night too, show to yeah. show. Like the early crowd was terrible. You guys right. are awesome. And it's just like they take right. out... If there's huh. three fat black ladies in the front middle... Laughing their ass that off. That show's going to go great. Right. That was always the thing. The, the ones that let go and the, they make everybody else be fine. But if they're not there... Same type of people, same rest of the people. If you right. got three like conservative people that give you a dirty look, the whole show is going way worse. Somebody, I don't, it might have it even been you. Someone feel. was telling me when they play a crowd, they try to get the people on the far left laughing and the people on the far right laughing really? because no, if they right. can get those two groups of people, if they can really connect with those two, it. the middle people will just laugh their asses off because they're surrounded by laughter. I could see that. Who the hell was telling me that? I don't think it was me. Yeah, that's the, that's right. I can't remember who I've told my stories to and who's told me their stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me neither. I've done that before. I told to Rogan once. I was like, oh, somebody did a joke about whatever I said. He goes, yeah, me. That <laughs> was me. Like, yeah, I told uh, you last week. 20 like, minutes oh, ago. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, listen. Thank you. I need to piss so bad. Oh, yeah. Um, that it, it just seems right like, like a natural. Well, thanks for having me on, man. Nice to meet yeah, you again. Yeah. This uh, is great. The best thing about doing a podcast is it gives me an excuse to hang out with people who are busy. Yeah, it's pretty cool that way. Yeah, it's wonderful. So when you go to the Comedy Cellar, I know the place that is at the Comedy Cellar, the Olive Bar Kitchen, whatever, it's supposed to be good, but that's stinky falafel place next door the shawarma really at my moods is so fucking good really it's so good all right i got it i'm there yeah 
<laughs> if you're into that type of food. Cool. It's it's a gourmet shawarma. Yeah. It's not, yeah. It's it's, it's, it's it five ninety nine. Is it Fuck kosher? no. No, not that place. <laughs> but, um, Mahmoud's. Yeah. Hey Mahmoud, is this shit kosher? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Uh, yeah, your special well. is fantastic. Everybody Thanks. should download it. It's called Passive, Passive Aggressive. It's on your website. It's on my website, arrythegreat.com. I can't believe that wasn't taken. Or it's at chill.com. It was a long time ago when I got it. <laughs> I got Ari Shafir too, but I just what stuck else? with Ari the Great. Are you going on tour? You have like dates? I'm moving to New York soon. Oh, you're moving? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Probably you, in like four more weeks, three you more in weeks. love or something? No. Change what? it up. Really? New stages. Yeah. yeah really. Build a new cool. hour. Cool. You have a place? Yeah, I got a place last time I was there. I, All right. But started two days ago. Please. Really? Yeah. So we're we're on borrowed time here. Yeah. In the yeah. Shea yeah. Ari. Before I go. I'll be in wow. New York next time I see you. No shit. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay, great. I would get high with you at the comedy cellar too, if I'm ever there. There's a yeah. place you can go there. It's not as easy as a store. All right. Go ahead, you're dancing. I, I, <laughs> go pee. I've been so bad. All right, thanks. Said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time? Think about your reputation. Soft touch, why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a bird cage, singing in your chest. You wanna shut it up or give it a rest? You're gonna die one day. Why do we waste our time? Think about an obligation, running from a confrontation, wondering what we ought to say. Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.